Did you cut the sleeves off of your sweatshirt? No. <laughs> you just had them rolled up. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, we are live with another Wisco Fanatics Wednesday. We have uh, a good show planned out today. There's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. Um, we're going to start with the Packers. So we're going to start with recapping the Packers' uh, win over the Rams. Um, we're going to talk about – let's talk about the Packers' offense first, like we usually do. Uh, Jake, what did you want to talk about with the offense? Actually, you know what we should start with? Let's uh, let's give our three stars before we start talking about the whole game. So let's do that okay. first. Let's get that out. Uh, three stars were difficult, man. It was very difficult for me this week. I thought the my team... first, my top two were easy, but my third one was tough. Yeah, see, I agree with that. My top two were very easy. The third one, I still gave my third position to two people, but I have an honorable mention. I'm not going to get too deep into the honorable mention when we talk about offense. Then I'll talk about him. It's an offensive player. Wink, wink. Uh, my third one is Randall Cobb and Devontae Adams. Uh, Cobb only played the first half, but yep. he had a great first half. Uh, four catches. Minus the fumble. And a touchdown. Yeah, he. I was going to say that, man. I, I actually was at the game. Um, uh, me and your buddy, his name's Alex Harlow. He actually works at Parker Johns. Um, he got tickets a couple of days before. And, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm sitting next to the guy next to me. And, you know, he's a season ticket holder. He's a really, really nice guy. And I'm like, man, you know, I was talking about the podcast. And I gave him a car and he said he's going to follow. And uh, I was like, man, I've been waiting for Cobb to be back there on punt return. You know, we're just going to call fair catch anyways. You know, he's, he's usually pretty sure-handed. Sure shit. After I say that whole spiel, he fumbles the damn thing. I'm like, oh, my God. And then and then I told him, you know, when he came out of half, I said, he's probably he's probably not playing the second half. He's embarrassing about that punt. Uh, probably not real, but Devonte Adams, he's just Devonte Adams. Uh, I don't, nothing else needs to be said. He's the best in the league. Uh, my number two, uh, was Rasul Douglas for obvious reasons. Um, he had six tackles, three solo, four passes defense in this one game. He had four passes defense. The Packers as a team had eight. So he had half of them by himself. Um, he obviously had the pick six, which was really, really the play that put the game away. I don't know if anybody listens to uh, Wayne Larrabee on the radio, but they were doing the playback because I was stuck in traffic, and he called it a third-quarter dagger when Rasul Douglas got that pick six. And I was like, damn, we pulled out the dagger in the third quarter, baby. I was like, that's pretty sick. It pretty much was the dagger. Uh, our defense was fired up the whole second half. And my number one star, we'll get into more stats later, but Aaron freaking Rodgers, dude. Um, I mean, he had a great game passing, but – to hear that that running that rushing touchdown that he had was off schedule that he wasn't supposed to wasn't supposed to pull that, and then he runs in it for a touchdown is absolutely the most Aaron Rodgers thing I've ever heard of in my life. He runs in on Jalen Ramsey of all years, yeah. one of the most one of the biggest shit talkers in the league, and he just and he's a thirty seven year old white dude and he runs past him and gets in the end zone with a broken toe, with a bro- with COVID toe. And Doesn't have COVID, so I'm not gonna off. I know, I'm just kidding. Um, I don't know if you saw that <clears> picture, <throat> but it said this has to be one of the coldest photos. And then I yep. and it shows Rogers with his hands behind his back and Jalen Ramsey looking helpless on the ground. I'm like, that definitely is one of the coldest photos of all time. NFL history easily. Um, uh, Matt Ramage actually shared a, a version of that picture where it's all blacked out except for Rogers and Ramsey. It looks oh, pretty sweet. That's nasty. Did you hear? Okay, so he did a podcast talking about Ramage. And he asked A.J. Dillon a question. He was on Cheesehead TV. 
Yeah. AJ Dillon, he was like, AJ, I got to ask you, what does it feel like to run over a grown man? And uh, if anybody has, hasn't seen that, go check that out because his, his explanation is pretty funny, actually. But I just wanted to bring that up because he brought up Randix. But I'm ready for your three stars. All right. So actually, AJ Dillon is my number three. I was really torn between, you know, the, the wide receivers, like you mentioned, and AJ Dillon. And just because his stats don't jump off the page, but what did jump off the page is his 25 touches in a game that Aaron Jones played. Now, I knew, you know, we knew going into this that Aaron Jones was going to be limited, probably on a snap count, but it became the A.J. Dillon with Aaron Jones mixed in as opposed to the Aaron Jones with A.J. Dillon mixed in. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think as far as improvements are are considered, A.J. Dillon deserves a lot of credit for how much he's improved over last year, not just as a, you know, a thumping runner, which we already knew he was, but as a blocker and as a pass catcher. So I wanted to to give A.J. Dillon some love for the things that he does outside of just running people over, which was probably one of my favorite plays of the game. Um, my number two is Aaron Rodgers for the same reasons you mentioned, and my number one is uh, Rasul Douglas. Uh, Rushman, I saw somebody say Eric Dickerson as well as Earl Campbell. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he'll be the number one from this point, Um when Aaron Jones is fully healthy, I, I would expect him to get more into that uh, that one number one role. But Matt Lafleur has talked about it. They don't have a, a one and a two; they have a one A and a one B. Play the hot so, hand. And and AJ Dillon is he's he's a second round pick, so he's he's living up to his draft capital a little bit this okay. year. So, um, so let's talk about the offense first. And what did you want to talk about with the offense? I mean, there's can't really say much, many bad things about it, except for I'm excited for Josh Myers and Bakhtiari to be back. Yes, sir. You know, Lucas Patrick is actually – I actually like Lucas Patrick. A okay, bit so just because you brought up Lucas Patrick, I want to talk about this. How, how the hell did Aaron Donald get away with that? How did he get away with that? You want to hear the worst part, dude? So – Obviously, I just said I was at the game. So I was watching the whole thing. And I'm like, oh, shit, Donald's getting into it, right? And you see him doing all this He, he got into it with him a couple plays before that. And then, yeah. And then when he was coming off the field, he turned around completely and was saying shit to all of our players. I was like, I looked over at, at the gentleman next to me, and I was just like, how do they flag taunting all the time? And then Aaron Donald is able to say whatever the hell he wants to any human ever. I don't understand. It's like they just choose the flag who they want, and then like, put his hand on Lucas flag. Patrick's throat. That was the that was the messed up part yeah. for me. Yeah, that's messed up that they were that they let that go. And there was a ref right there. I know, and he, and he it's was. It's not even like off. he grabbed him by the face mask. He whole grabbed him by the throat. That's yeah, so I, messed up. I did a close up on the on the picture, and I'm gonna save it for for if we play the Rams again. I'm gonna be like, yeah. I, never mind. I'm not gonna give away, but I have I have a good tagline to put on there. Aaron Donald gets mad when he plays the Packers because the Packers can usually game plan him out. Yeah, I Packers know. did a good job of it in the NFC champ or in the, um, the NFC playoffs last year, yeah. and they did a good job of it on Sunday. Obviously, they use multiple guys because one on one, you're not stopping Aaron Donald. But obviously, that frustrates him to the point that he does shit like that. Right. So. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say I like Patrick a little. I actually like Patrick a lot. Um, he's a guy that came from the practice squad and earned his way up to getting real playing time a couple years ago. 
and he's got Rogers trust. Uh, he's been in, he's been on our team, been around our team, been through some bad losses, some big wins, road games. Like he's been through it all. Uh, something that I really like is that he's a little bit dirty. He's a, he's a and not dirty in the sense of like stomping on people like Andamus too or choking people. He'll just get under your skin, and he's not afraid to get in there and and mix it up, man. And that's you need that on your old line. You know, when you have a guy like AJ Dillon that's punishing people run after run after run. And actually, Patrick got interviewed on the radio. You know, again, I was stuck in traffic, and he was getting talked about, and he said, and they asked him a question. He said, you know, when I block for 33, I know that if I make my block and he makes one guy miss, he can go 70 yards. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. He said, when I block for 28, I hope that he's running through through my hole so I can hear him take somebody's soul. And I'm like, that's exactly it. A.J. Dillon's going to take your soul. He's going to run through you. He's gonna run. He's gonna run exactly through you. And then, as soon as you're trying to catch your breath, you got to catch Aaron Jones. And then, on top of that, you have to worry about the best wide receiver in the league and the best quarterback in the league. There's no argument that Rodgers is on fire right now. Absolutely, Absolutely not. Yeah. Right now, best quarterback. Dude, that's why. Like when we when we were losing to Minnesota, and yeah. you know Buffalo's lost some games. Packers Buffalo was my Super Bowl pick before the season started. Yep. Um, looking at the NFL, like like the Packers have dealt with some injuries and are still winning. Like the Packers get fully healthy. This this NFL is wide open. Oh, absolutely, it is wide open. There are no clear cut favorites in this NFL. Absolutely. If two, th- there's only two things that's going to stop. Obviously, injuries and the injury bug has been hitting us like crazy. Uh, yeah, every every game. Yeah, Roger, Rogers talked about it. Um, I met Pat McAfee last uh, last night. And mm-hmm. then I would say special teams. Uh, special teams had its ups and downs, obviously. So... But it's it's getting there. I, I, I see the turning. I see the, you know, the, the improvements in certain areas, like the punt coverage and, you know, downing the ball on the one. And the kick coverage is still a little wishy-washy at times. It's It's getting there. So with the special teams, <clears throat> this is what I said about Sunday was the the punt coverage and the kickoff coverage improved. It wasn't great, yep. but it's improved. And yep. the punt coverage and the punting was really great. Oh, our yeah. return, our return games in the punting and kick returns were bad. Obviously, yeah. we had the turnover. Um, didn't really get past the twenty on any kickoffs taken out of the end zone, and then you know mostly fair catching as far as punting is concerned, but. Um, but Horkas is a stud. He's back to his stubbly punting ways. And, um, and EQ deserves some credit as we're talking about special teams and about the offense. Um, there was the punt that, that got called back and then the Packers got a five yard penalty out of it. So they, they had a first down, but it was a fourth and four punt and EQ went and he made a tackle. He got underneath the guy and went and made a tackle. I like the, 15-yard line, something like that, I want to say. I think that was Cooper Cuppy tackle, too. I don't know if it was Cup or if it was Corey Kosky's younger brother. Um, shout out to former was, Brewer. Yeah, <laughs> um, but, I mean, honestly, it doesn't matter who it was. That was a great play yeah. by EQ that doesn't show up in the, you know, in the stats at all because the play didn't happen because of the penalty by the Rams that gave the Packers the mm-hmm. first down. But, um. I saw a couple of really nice plays like that by the defense, but um, let's let's keep talking about the offense for a little bit, and then we'll talk about the defense. So um, they got a 
we've got a couple little nuggets here. Some uh, some important nuggets to to show here. Um, I wanted to say this stat to show how great Aaron played on Sunday. Um, the longest run for the Rams was seven yards. The longest run for the Packers was eight yards. Everything in that game was earned. It wasn't yeah. like we were just running through giant holes. That eight-yard run, by the way, was the one where Aaron or AJ Dillon was carrying three other human beings. <laughs> yeah, he fall he falls forward every single run. Oh, every time, every single time. Um, the other thing about AJ Dillon, uh, the reason I had I should have put him in my stars, he came out that first drive right after halftime. Was absolutely massive. Was that, yep, that was the AJ Dillon drive. I have that in my notes as the AJ Dillon drive. Eight touches. Uh, eight of the thirteen plays were AJ Dillon. And he scored the touchdown. Dude, did you see him snatch ankles on that screen that he had? Yes, dude. Oh. That's like, dude, you're you're 700 pounds. Like, you shouldn't be able to do that. Man, I mean, <laughs> your lower body's so damn big. How you moving it like that? Right. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask you is, did you see the, the robot that they did? Yes, I have that video saved. I'm going to share it on the page this weekend. Oh, man. What a robot, dude. They're so good at it. Dude, yeah, Yash Diamond is really good at that. He is. Yeah, Rodgers and Tate talked about it last year. Yep. Pretty funny. Um, no, but A.J. Dillon was absolutely tremendous. And I'm sure everybody saw the stat of Aaron Rodgers versus Jalen Ramsey on Sunday. But I'm going to repeat it again. He was 7-for-7 seven seven when targeting Jalen Ramsey. He was 5-for-5 five five when targeting Devontae Adams against Jalen Ramsey for 41 yards and three first downs. Also, he ran for a touchdown against Jalen Ramsey. So, Aaron Rodgers, Jalen Ramsey, Devontae Adams, Jalen Ramsey. I think we win that one. I think that debate's pretty much over with, in my opinion. The first play, when Tay caught the ball on him and juked him into the next universe, I was like, oh, he's in for a bad. I wrote it. I wrote it at the beginning of my notes with that drive. And at the end of the day, that Devontae Adams is better than Jalen Ramsey. And it's. It's like Devontae owns him. Yeah, like Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey shuts down DK Metcalf. Yep. Devontae Adams owns Jalen Ramsey. You want to know what the difference is for me personally? Because DK is a obviously a physical specimen, right? Mm-hmm. The thing is, DK is still a young player. He doesn't have that mentality. He doesn't have that up here. Yep. So when Jalen's talking to him, DK's not a dog. Jalen is a dog. So when he comes at him, DK kind of goes down a little bit. Devontae Adams is a straight-up dog, dude. You're not going to tell him what you're going to do to him. You're he's not gonna even going to touch him. He's going to be like, listen, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there, and ain't shit you can do about it because I have Aaron Rodgers throwing to me. And you're pretty much screwed at that point. Devontae's like, uh-uh, right there, Rodgers on target, on time. What are you going to do? The only thing you can do is grab him and get a Dude, Rodgers, Rodgers dropped like eight dimes on Sunday. Like yeah. absolute dimes. That pass he threw to Cobb, where Cobb juked that guy out, and the two Rams took each other out, and he ran forever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was that fifty-four yarder. Yep, Dude, that was a that was only Aaron Rodgers. Dude, so <clears throat> so I know there was a couple of places that talked about it. Um, Rushman, yes, definitely. I feel confident on third and one, and fourth and one, fourth and short. Yeah. Uh, just handing the ball to AJ Dillon and letting him bowl through. Yes, um, John Jesus Christ. <laughs> Uh, the play where they ended up getting the long game to uh, Devontae Adams, I think it was a third down play, and they motioned Josiah DeGuara across the formation out to the outside yep. 
of Devontae Adams, which pushed all the corners one spot over. That's that's the kind of stuff that the pre-snap motion that the Packers have used a lot and with Matt LaFleur being the head coach. Um, that's the kind of stuff that, that came with Matt LaFleur, that pre-snap motion being able to identify the coverages and then getting mismatches. And after that, it was just Devontae up, over, out, up the sideline, boom, 41 yards. Like, that's – when you look at it and you can see it after it happens and it looks – it looks easy. That's the kind of stuff that Rodgers and LaFleur are doing before the play even happens. Yep. Well, there was another play with motion, too, involved uh, Randall Cobb's 27-yarder. He motions from the right side, goes all the way across. Devontae Adams runs a, runs a deep post route, which takes that linebacker who was supposed to have yep. the yep. takes him completely out of the picture, and now Randall Cobb's all alone. Rodgers has dropped it right in there. Oh, my God, Aaron Rodgers, dude. I, I could talk about Aaron Rodgers forever, dude. That guy is in freaking incredible, man. I absolutely love that guy. I'll have to get some more Aaron Rodgers videos next week. Um, I just want to throw out there that when Aaron Jones got injured, that I threw out that Randall Cobb might get some time in the backfield. And then they ran where uh, Rodgers was in the shotgun, and he had Randall Cobb and, a- and Aaron Jones next to him. This is at, like, the mm-hmm. five-yard line. And AJ and Aaron Jones split out wide, and Cobb stayed in the backfield. And then Cobb ran the little out and up, and uh, scored the touchdown. Like that's, I just wanted to toot my horn horn a little bit, just because I said that Cobb would be using the backfield. But um, and that's that's a lot of versatility that they're getting out of guys, even Randall Cobb, who's a veteran. I love that play that the Rams threw, where they had Cooper Cup throw the pass, mm-hmm. almost a touchdown, by the way. Almost. I wish the Packers would run that with Randall Cobb. Throw it to Devontae. Dude, I was going to say, I wish they'd run that with Devontae. Like, you know if Devontae gets a pass behind the line, everybody's thinking wide receiver screen. Like, if you can get – like, let's say if you have Devontae and Lazard on on one side and you put MVS on the other side by himself and he's got a one-on-one and you run a wide receiver screen to Devontae and let MVS just streak down the middle of the field and just say, hey, Devontae, chuck it and see if MVS can catch it. Like, I'm here for it. Like, I'll try it. I'll I'll try anything once. Back in, like, 2017 or whatever, and Devontae was throwing throwing a bomb. He threw it about 45 yards, man. That's pretty good chuck, man. I mean, I'll take a chance for it. I mean, why not? I'll try anything once. Yeah, it can't hurt, man. I mean, it could, but, I mean, we're playing the Ravens, Minnesota, Chicago, and Detroit yet, right? I think I have yeah, that in the right order. Yeah, we put the next game. In no, it's 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 Chicago. Baltimore, Chicago, Minnesota, Detroit. No, the next game is Chicago. Or Chicago, Baltimore, Minnesota, yep. Detroit. Yep. Okay. No, there's one. So, <clears throat> Cleveland on Christmas. Yep. Um. So I mean, I mean, you could try it against really any of those teams. The- yeah, do it to Detroit. It'll definitely happen against. It'll definitely work against Detroit. They don't. They don't stop running noses even. So yeah, just pull it out on Christmas. Oh, baby, imagine <laughs> if that baby connects on Christmas. <laughs> All right. So talking about the offense, we need to talk about Mason Crosby. I want to know what you think about Mason Crosby. Talk about it. I don't think everything that's happening with the missed kicks is all on Mason. I mean, he had one blocked. He's had one where, you know, it wasn't snapped the right way and the ball's not placed the right way. Like, 
there, there's a whole. He's mechanism. hit the crossbar twice. Yeah, there, there's a whole mechanism that has to happen. Um, I think Crosby is still good. I still, I still believe in him, but uh, I don't know. It's starting to get tough, man. And you know that's my boy. Like I love, I love Money Mason, but after this year. Even if you know, say we say we go and win the Super Bowl, it might be time to get a new kicker. Say what you said again, but emphasize the first part of what you said. About if we go win the Super Bowl? What you said before that. You started with one phrase that is key in there. After this year. Oh yeah, after this year. Yeah. He he's not getting replaced right now. They're not they're not making a kicker change in the second half slash last third of the season. Dude, we're in the middle of a race for the number one seed. We're not going to get a new kicker. It's not, That's yeah. Ridiculous. <clears throat> we're not Minnesota. Yeah. I saw somebody compare Mason Crosby to the J.K. Scott situation, and it's like, okay, J.K. Scott does not have near the track record that Mason Crosby does. doesn't have near the, the body of work that a guy like Mason Crosby had is this is not remotely comparable situation. Dude, Mason Crosby made game-winning kicks for us in humongous situations. Yeah. Countless times bailing us out where Rodgers just like, if I get a field goal attempt, we're going to win this game. Yeah. Mason Crosby's been there, and we can rely on him. Mason's a good yep. kicker. Uh, he's a good vet. He's been in almost every situation. And I would like to point out that it's very tough to kick in the cold. Okay? Just like it's hard to throw a football in the cold, it's hard to kick in the cold. So, you know, and, and that's how our fan base works. Every every miss that he does now, everybody's using me going ballistic, right? Yep. Rightfully so in some situations. Like, if you miss a short one, rightfully so. Right. But he's not going to be 100 for 100. He's not Justin Tucker. There's <clears> one <throat> Justin Tucker. But uh, with that being said, he's not going to replace this year, if that was the point you were trying to get out. Yes, it, it that's – yep. That's, they're not even going to look at it until the offseason. All right, so a couple other guys I want to shout out. Um, obviously, we know Devontae is Devontae. He got eight out of nine targets for 104 yards. Yep. Um, we talked about EQ on special teams. I want to give EQ credit for making a really nice third-down catch um, that had been kind of the Randall Cobb role was making the tough third-down plays and being there. Um it seems like Lazard is still either bothered by his injury or maybe he's just regressing. I'm not sure which one it is. Um, could be both. It's got to be injury. It's got to be injury. He, just... I, I feel that they rushed him back from that week. He missed one game. I feel like I feel like they rushed him back to play last week. I wish they would have just he... given him that. I wish they would have just given him last week off, and then he has the bye week too. I, mean, um, yeah, I think this bye week's gonna be good for him, buddy. Yeah. I think it's going to be good for literally everybody. Yeah. Um, we, we talked about being excited that the Packers have a late buy and not like a week five buy. So we'll see if that benefits them this year. Um, and also with the, you know, you mentioned the Mason Crosby thing not being entirely on him. That, that new long snapper that they tried out or they're trying out, he's been there, obviously. But with that too, be glad they're trying this stuff out in week seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, not week. 15, 16, 17. And now 18. Exactly. So, I mean, these things are happening in the middle of the season, and the thing with it is the Packers are still winning games. They lost one game, a divisional game, to Minnesota on the road. Like, and and that was a winnable game. 
So it's that's not that big of a deal. And you know, they lost without Aaron Rodgers and they lost the first game of the season. Like there's a lot of complaining going on in the fan base for a team that's nine and three. Spoiled brats. <laughs> <laughs> um that being said, is there anything else you want to talk about on offense? Um well I just wanted to say this bye week that's happening is the latest in franchise history, if you didn't know that. Mm. Um, also, uh, I have two little uh, little stats I'm going to be using as my stat of the week. I'm changing my stat of the week um, because I just found these out. Uh, Sunday was Rogers' 30th career game with a pass and rush touchdown. Mm-hmm. That's the third most in NFL history. And also, it was his 60th career game with at least 300 pass yards and multiple touchdown passes. That's the fourth most. Uh, he's behind three Hall of Famers. Drew Brees, Tom Brady, and Peyton Manning. Uh, those are three guys that if you're mentioned in there with passing, mm-hmm. all right. I'll send them to you. All right, buddy. Hey, you message us. We'll invite you to all the groups, and you can take care of all of our light work. <laughs> all right. So just want to throw in a couple things. Um, Rogers back-to-back 300-yard games on his bad toe, so I don't think it's bothering him as much as people want to think that it is. Um and I want to give some credit to MVS, who looks like a better route runner the last couple of weeks at least, and he's using his hands more than his body. So um, yeah, I hope he continues that. that improvement. That's what I want to see is that continued improvement. I want to see him stack on it and keep it going. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about the defense. I came with a visual aid today, so I'm going to talk about my number one star because talking about Rasul Douglas, um, I saw some people complain when it was brought up and it was that the, the complaint was that Rasul Douglas gave up the touchdown to Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, if this is one thing where Troy Aikman actually said the right thing, which was weird, but this this touchdown isn't on, on Rasul Douglas because this is a zone play, so Rasul Douglas is expecting safety help over the top, and you can already see it in Adrian Amos's body language here that he's kind of in like the, oh, shit, I got to turn around and run. So, Adrian Amos is thinking that Odell Beckham Jr. is going to run this red line route. He's going to run a slant route. So, AJ, AJ, Adrian Amos tried to jump the route, which is that blue line, and tried to beat him to the spot. And then what Odell Beckham Jr. did was run the yellow route and obviously sprung him for the touchdown. So, that green line is where Rasul Douglas is thinking Adrian Amos is going to be. And Adrian Amos tried to make the play, which something that we always say is you don't fault effort. Um, so Adrian Amos tried to make a play. It ended up being a big play for the Rams, but um, that's not on Rasul Douglas. That's unfortunately it's on Adrian Amos, who's one of my favorite players. Um, that's just, and Adrian Amos is just trying to make a play in that situation. It's not like he got caught in the wrong place, which I mean he did, but um, it was for a reason. He was trying to you know jump a route. Um, to to make a play and, and get a stop. So, what's up, Tim? Welcome. Um, <clears throat> so that's that's what I wanted to say about Rasul Douglas. Um, he's he's the man. Um, Jake mentioned you know the Packers had eight passes defensed and four of them were Rasul Douglas. Um, he's <laughs> people are talking about him as Packers free agent signing of the century. You know, I mean we talked about it a little bit. 
that right now, as far as a, a GM of the year, that it's pretty much between Gutekunst and and New England's GM. Yeah. Um, I don't know, maybe Arizona, I guess, but um, as far as GM of the year is concerned, I mean, Gutekunst has to be in there, um, especially when you consider some of the rookies that they have that are are you know are contributing the way they are, like Royce Newman, who is playing a lot. Um, Josh Myers, obviously Eric Stokes being our number one cornerback with Jair out. And then, you know, adding Rasul Douglas, adding Devondre Campbell, who's one of the best linebackers in the league off of a, off of free agency. I mean, grabbing Whitney Merciless, who unfortunately got hurt, but I mean, keeping this team competitive with, with mid season free agent signings and finding these guys trading for Bajorquez. I mean, grabbing Randall Cobb and bringing him back. That's, I mean, Gutekind should be a consideration. Little, those are little under radar moves that nobody really thought would make a big deal. They're like, oh, the Packers traded us to try for a punter, big deal. And then he has three punts inside the twenty in one of our biggest games of the year. Mm-hmm. Like, that that's big time stuff. And and a lot of times it, it matters. Game, the, the, this game wasn't as close as the score. I don't care what anybody says. It wasn't. But a lot of times in these type of games when you have two heavyweights going at each other. Sometimes it turns into a field position battle. So exactly, yeah, humongous. You know, um, man, oh man, uh, I saw a comment. Uh, I was reading, reading something on Facebook, and uh, one of the Packers fans commented and said, "You know, I heard all off season, you know, during the preseason that the Packers don't play starters in the in the preseason. Little did we know that we were actually playing all of our starters in the preseason, <laughs> except for like, Jordan Love, but he did start a game. So I mean, you can you can yeah. throw that out there." It's like, pretty true. We get all these defensive players and you know practice squad players that were just getting reps on reps on reps in the preseason, and now, man, uh, I was thinking about this the other day. I'm like, at what point uh, our depth is just going to be super superstar, dude? Think about this. It's all it's going to be. Are, are yep. on the road. They're playing division games. They're playing game of the weeks against the Rams at Lambeau, like. And then all of our superstars are going to come back because we're missing big time players, man. Yeah, superstars are going to come back, and then we're just going to be a well-oiled machine. Rogers isn't we, going anywhere. Okay, with everything we're getting happens, potentially two for sure that I would say are at the best of their position, and one who I would say is among the best at his position. We're getting back the number one cornerback in the NFL, yep. the number one left tackle in the NFL, and yep. I would say probably a top five pass rusher. I'll give you that. But then on top of the top five rusher, you have Rashawn Gary, who is just. Dude, if we have Rashawn Gary, we win that Minnesota game. Oh, 100%, dude. And I was going to talk about that when we talked about defense, how immediately he made his impact by forcing a fumble. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, he set the edge immediately at that point. And the Rams are kind of like, no, not going to happen. So, and I also wanted to say this because. You know, people are beating up Adrian Amos for giving up this touchdown, you know, and they mm-hmm. found that it was his own defense. Well, how come nobody's talking more about that fourth down that he stopped? Absolutely. Yes, he did. I'm glad you brought it up because if you didn't, I was going to – he made a beautiful play on that stop. That was a gutsy oh. call by the Rams running that in their own territory, and Adrian Amos came and filled the hole perfectly. That's so – That was just stupid by the Rams. You're down by <laughs> yeah. one touchdown in the first quarter. And, and the 30 on your, on your own, yeah. That's stupid. That's just stupid. <clears throat> yep, I, really, I, I thought they were just going to try to get us to go outside. 
Yep. That's what I really thought when they were out there. I was like, ah, no, you're not going to go for it. I was like, they call fucking high, bro. What? <laughs> no way. And he just went, and I was like, oh, yeah, baby. That crowd was loud as hell, man. The crowd was loud the entire game. Game, game. That was awesome. Yeah, that was absolutely great game to be at. Great game to watch. I mean, we saw pretty much everything. Turnovers, sacks, long touchdown passes. We had disappointment. Got a pick guys. six. Yeah, picks. I mean, we had all the highs and lows. That was an awesome game to watch. We saw Rodgers dimes. Like, that was an awesome, awesome game. I think the Packers, right now, if I was going to rank them, I'm trying not to be biased. But as a total team, there's there's very little weaknesses on this team. I would say just the special teams. And that's only from time to time. It's not every time they're on the field. I would say the Packers are the most complete team right now. I agree. And what I would also throw in there is is penalties. Um, the Packers kind of kill themselves with penalties at times. Um, but with that, you know, we talked about it. Um, it's it's definitely seems like the most Super Bowl-ready team that the Packers have had because you've given Aaron Rodgers a defense. They are very good, in my opinion. They get stops. They, they can get off the field. They get turnovers. And Honestly, I saw the stat about the Patriots on their win streak, how many turnovers they're causing, and I'm just like, man, I can't imagine how many turnovers the Packers have dropped in the last six weeks. Yeah. Or, or had taken away due to penalties. Yeah, that too. So, um, Rushman said it. Um, he said, nobody should be crushing Amos because he's been a star in some big wins. Now, this is this is something that our entire show is is partially about is don't take a sample size that's this big and make no. a judgment this big. No. Don't do that. Don't do the, the knee jerk, the small sample size. That's not that's not how sports work. That's why analytics are such a big deal in baseball. You take all this data and you make it into, you know, this is what this guy can be. You don't take, you know, he was bad in this month of this year, so that means that's what he's going to be. That's, that's not how sample sizes work because I saw this happen with Eric Stokes. We talked about Eric Stokes last week. He had one bad play where he got caught in between Thielen and Jefferson, wasn't guarding either one of them, and ended up giving up a big gain to Justin Jefferson. Yep. He, he had a couple bad pass interference calls in the 49ers game, one of them which I don't really agree with because Debo Samuel yeah. is falling down and Stokes like put his pinky on Debo's shoulder. Yep. Uh, so... Looking at, at Eric Stokes' body of work, he's given up a couple big plays and, like, two touchdowns. But you look at all of the things that he's done and some of the receivers that he's gone against. Like You look at Cincinnati's wide receivers and Pittsburgh's wide receivers and Seattle's wide receivers and Minnesota's wide receivers. Like, I mean, you look at – you got – DeAndre Hopkins put a really good move on him. That's DeAndre Hopkins. That's the second best wide receiver in the NFL versus a rookie cornerback. I mean, you can expect that once in a while to give DeAndre Hopkins the credit there. Don't throw Eric Stokes under a bus. That's I got an argument for you. I got an NFL discussion argument. I was hoping you were going to bring up D-Hop again. Okay. I'm ready to start the argument of Cooper Cup being the second best wide receiver. I'm really ready for that conversation. <sighs> He is a I will I will have that discussion with you next season if he does it again. The only reason I'm saying it, not just because of the volume that he's putting in, 
He lines up in a lot of different areas, man. He's lining up in the backfield now, slot, left, right. It doesn't matter. If, he lines up so, in a lot of different spots. So two things. One, I could see saying that this year because Hopkins has missed some games. And two, what I would want to see before I'm ready to make that statement is to see Cooper Cup be a goal line threat. Um, he's he's he can score touchdowns because he can score from a lot of places because he can get open a lot of ways. Um, similar to kind of how Randall Cobb always finds the soft spots in the defense. Cooper Cup is good at mm-hmm. that. Um, but you're not throwing a, a corner fade to Cooper Cup. You're not throwing a one on one jump ball to Cooper Cup. So for a goal line threat type thing is something I would want to say with that. Um, but I'm really, I'm willing to listen to the argument. So <laughs> that's, that's fair. Those are all very good points. Right <clears throat> your head. All right. Um, so I want to say the defense, that third quarter was fantastic. Yeah. If you had to take a stab, how many yards you think the Rams got in the third quarter? Well, they didn't get a lot. <laughs> it's not very many. <laughs> I'll say 25. 29. You were close. Good job. 29 the yards. The only reason I'm saying that is because I know the time of possession was absolutely dominated by the Packers. We had the ball for almost 40 freaking minutes, dude. <clears throat> so, three – I think the Rams had three possessions. We forced them into two, three and outs. And then their last drive was carrying to the end of the third quarter. And they ended up punting. So 29 yards in the third quarter for the Rams. I mean, the, the defense was just great. The fact that the Packers, if, if anybody still thinks the Packers are a bad rush defense based on the way that they were in the past, have not paid attention to the Packers this year. Wow. You hit the nail on the head when you mentioned the longest run by the Rams was seven yards. That's case in point. Damn, take Tyree <clears throat> Killer Hopkins. Take Tyree Killer Hopkins. Um, I mean, he's at the top of every defense. I don't know. It's a good argument. I can, I can listen. To yeah, that. yeah. I don't. I don't disagree with that. Yeah. Um, I personally would have Tyree Kill number three, but um, and then we we got to talk about Kenny Clark again because he is a monster. He's yeah, an absolute he monster. He's just. He's a stud, bro. Six tackles, a sack. I mean, he's a monster. Bro, I kept saying, we need a Kenny play. We need a Kenny play. All of a sudden, he gets a sack. I'm like, let's go, Kenny play. Let's go. Me and Alex are hugging about a thousand times at the game, dude. (laughs) That dude is a a, a problem. At this point, you just call him a problem. That's how you know you're good. So, Rushman said this Packers defense is complete, the best he's seen in a long time. I agree with that. And then throw in the fact that we're going to get guys back. Like, we're looking at a secondary that's got Eric Stokes, Rasul Douglas, Darnell Savage, and Adrian Amos. And then you're going to put in Jair Alexander on that? Dude, if you're looking at a secondary of, say, three cornerbacks of Jair, Eric Stokes, and Rasul Douglas, Tampa Bay does not have an answer for that. I wanted to point something out that me and you were talking about, by the way. So remember when uh, Stokes got drafted, right? And we learned, you know, we read, we were reading the stats about how he had a couple pick sixes. And we were like, oh, you put Jair on one side and he's the shutdown. And then, you know, Stokes can be the pick six guy. Now Stokes is the shutdown over there. 
and Basil Douglas is the pick six guy. We get, oh my god, what are you gonna Dude, do? I told you, Eric Stokes profile similar to Jair. I, I talked I about this with some team people team? in some groups that Eric Stokes profiles similar to Jair Alexander, where um, you know eventually after he gets some more experience and he doesn't get those penalties and you know some of the some of the being caught in the wrong place, the wrong time plays, he's not going to get thrown at because his coverage is good. That's that's the type of corner he is. He isn't the type to to bait you into interceptions, you know, the way like a Xavier Howard does uh, or like a Trayvon Diggs. He's more of a shutdown corner that makes you throw at other people. That's how Jair does. That's why Jair doesn't have the high interception numbers because nobody throws at him. So you're looking at Jair, Jair Jr., and then Mr. Pick 6. So Stafford has lost three games in a row, and he's thrown pick sixes in all of them. Bro, did you see that stat? (laughs) Stafford has three straight games with a pick six, and Rodgers has thrown three in his career. Oh, that's (laughs) People were saying that Stafford was as good as Rodgers after week one. I was like, oh, yikes. Holy hell. I had an argument last year before the season. Uh, a guy named David Morris. I don't know if you know who that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a big, big-time Lions fan. He makes a yeah. lot of crazy picks. I had an argument with him about Stafford over Rodgers. He legitimately thought that Stafford was better than Rodgers. And I was like, Jesus, is this how they make you guys in Detroit? Because this ain't a good look, buddy. Better than Aaron Rodgers? That's crazy. But, Pat, I'm glad you brought up Kingsley Kiki because I'm very excited that he's starting instead of Tyler Lancaster. I like Kingsley Kiki a lot. And I was going to say, because Rushman said we're going to have five or six, I was going to say, there's still a spot for Kevin King, no matter what people say. There's mm-hmm. still spots in the field where Kevin King is absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. He's great when he gets his hands on you. Yep. When he can get his hands on you and feel you and know where you're going, then he's great because then he can kind of – That's why him. I like using him in the red zone. Yeah, there's less space. He can't he can't really get burned right. in the red zone. But right. man, this this defense has all the potential in the world. And the craziest part is we're still led by Aaron freaking Rodgers, dude. This feels like one of those years that if we don't win the Super Bowl, it really feels like a failure. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I think the Packers are gonna win the Super Bowl. It feels like we should. That's mm-hmm. what it's starting to feel like to me, you know. And, and you you know, to your point, it feels like a complete team because yeah. What we were missing last year was inside linebacking. Oh my god! Chris Thank Barnes you. played well in this oh, LA game. He's been I know good. he came. He came off of two really bad games, and now he had a really, really good game. Chris Barnes had nine tackles and a pass defense in this game. He was Chris Barnes, he he looked like a middle linebacker that we thought he was going to be coming into this season. Bro, he made one really amazing play that nobody's talking about. He was the only one that recognized the screen. He had two linemen against him and the running yep. back. He, he swam under it. Yeah, oh, dude. Yes. God. Yes. That play was beautiful. I was like, holy shit, what a play, man. <laughs> that was a play. That Because he could have got yards, man. Douglas did that, too. Douglas had a play like that, too, where they tried to set up a, a tight end screen to Higby, and he ducked under a lineman and went and made the tackle. So do not try to run a screenplay against the Packers. It will not work. No, Tampa. Tampa's different this year, man. And I, you know, you, Tom's one of those guys. You don't bet against him because you never really know. He's won in almost every situation imaginable. I mean, up to this point, when you play a thousand years, you get a chance <laughs> to do everything. So you don't really want to bet against Tom Brady. I hate that guy, but I respect him. Yep. So you don't want to bet against him. 
But I'll tell you what, I think the Packers are much more well-prepared for that moment this year. And I think that goes along with my statement of saying the NFL is wide open. <clears throat> tell, tell me if this is a good comparison to you. So the Bucks lost two straight years in the playoffs, right? And then the third year they went, they won the title. The Packers lost two straight years in the NFC Championship game. Is this the year that we finally put it all together? I don't know, man. And the, the Brewers have lost two couple years in a row in the playoffs. Yeah. Maybe next maybe next year will be the year they put it together too. I don't know. The Bucks are looking to go back to back. I mean, we got a lot of things going for us. So one of the last things I want to throw out before we switch to the Badgers is Lafleur has coached 44 regular season games, has not lost back-to-back games. Yeah, that is an absolutely insane stat. That is ridiculous. If And we had this discussion in one of our group chats. I will riot and start cars on fire if Matt LaFleur does not win Coach of the Year this year. It's going to be him or Belichick, dude, I'm telling you. I told you that the other day. Oh, <laughs> my God. Belichick is like two and four at home. I know, but he's doing it with a rookie quarterback. You got to put take that into consideration. I don't give up. We are doing it without our number one corner, our number one pass rusher, our number one lineman, our number two lineman, our number three lineman, our running back for a game, our quarterback for a game, and we are nine and three. Hey. I'm not taking anything away from the floor. I'm just playing devil's advocate at this point. And Belichick has the the history, so I'm just saying I wouldn't be shocked if it was him. But it should be LaFleur at this point. He should I be would be willing to give New England the GM of the year and LaFleur coach of the year. That's fine. That's fine with me too. All right. So do you have anything else you want to say about the Packers before we move on to the Badgers? Let's get healthy. And let's run these mothers out the building. That's how I feel. All right. We will be back with a preview next week. Um, obviously, no buy this or uh, no game this week because of the buy. So there's no preview this week. Yep. But we're going to welcome in our buddy Mike. We enjoy having him talk about the Badgers. He was really active when we did our Badgers, uh, our Badgers primer. So I wanted to give him the chance to, uh, to toot his own horn a little bit as we talk about the Badgers. But, um, so they announced the Big Ten did. Um, they announced the first teams and the second team, third team, honorable mention, all Big Ten. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to do report cards. But before we do that, we're going to talk a little bit about this Minnesota game. And unfortunately, it was <sighs> the first play of the game put a bad taste in my mouth. And it never went away. And it's because of this. So looking at this play, Colin Wilder was ejected for targeting on this play. Jake and I talked about targeting earlier this season, and unfortunately the discussion is rearing its head again, and it's because of this play. This is the literally the first play from scrimmage. Colin Wilder makes a really nice tackle, a nice play, a hard hit, looks like a clean hit, and he's flagged for targeting. This I can't believe that they can't go into review and say there's no malicious intent here. He attempted to make the play the way that he's supposed to. What what else do you want from him? You can see it in this picture that he's leading with his shoulder. He's turned his head away to not make his you know the play with his head. I mean, I don't know. 
what else you can expect from a DB in this situation when you can see that the wide receiver is crouching his body down? What? I mean, I don't know what you guys think about this, but I don't understand what else you can do. Okay. I'll take this first, Mikey, if you don't mind. Yeah, no problem. Welcome, welcome back, buddy. I'll Thank you. you. Um, first thing I'm going to say is, do they ever call targeting on an offensive player? Never. And they put their head down all the time. Imagine a Braylon Allen, who is enormous, 240 pounds, puts the crown of his helmet down, and he runs somebody over. Are they going to call a flag on him? Absolutely not. That is, that is bringing that's fans a, to the game. That is so that's, that's money for the NCAA right there. Secondly, this guy is not a defenseless receiver. The targeting rule for B should be for defenseless receivers, okay? He's not defenseless. He had enough time to make a football move, which is two hands in the football, head down, protect himself. He had all the time in the world to protect himself. It's just a bang-bang play. When you go over the middle, the safety is supposed to make you hurt, okay? That's the whole point of a safety is when you go over the middle, I'm going to smack the hell out of you, okay? And if you come over here again, I'm going to smack the hell out of you again. That's what you're supposed to do. Colin Wilder did his job in this place. He was in the right position. He was a little late. They gave up the first down. But I don't want this to be called a targeting. The guy caught the ball. The guy hit the guy with the ball. That's the end of the story. That's the only how, is, how is he supposed to look at a wide receiver as he's making a play with his shoulder? Like, they're not they're not owls. They're not giraffes. They don't have a way to see that a wide receiver is ducking. Looking at this wide receiver, where is he supposed to hit him? Where? You can't you can't hit somebody between the knees and shoulders in a space this big while they're curled up into a cannonball. I mean, do you otherwise what you're doing is you're telling guys if you can't hit in that area, then you're going at knees. That's worse. Yeah. Or you're diving at somebody's shin, you're gonna break somebody's leg or tear somebody's ACL that way. Well, you can't do so, that in the NFL. The Tom Brady rule. Tom Brady tore his ACL against Kansas City first game of the year a while back because a guy, a rusher, dove at him and hit him below the knee. Dove into his knees. Yeah. So you can't do that anymore. Mikey, what's your, what's your opinion? What do you think? Yeah. So I just think it like just it just goes back to how inconsistent this is. Mm-hmm. We saw it. It started last year, and it needs to be reviewed again in the offseason because um, – whether it's the NCAA or the officials or whatever, because this is one of those calls that changes a game. Colin Wilder is our defensive captain. Like that clearly affected us throughout the game. As you, as you probably tell this was, you know, just a bad omen from the start. I was, I was so crushed when this happened, but as far as the actual play itself, I didn't, I thought call me bias or whatever, but I think Colin Wilder defended this per- perfectly in his position. He was easily in with his shoulder. What else do you want want to ha- want to have happen here? In my opinion, but no this this call has been so inconsistent. You know, for the going on the last two seasons now, it still needs to be corrected. It happens on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, I'm not saying it didn't cost us a game or anything, but it definitely had an effect on on our defense. I think ultimately throughout the game. So this was definitely a game changer, no question about it. It needs to be reviewed consistently, like time and time again. Like it's never like I don't know if we're ever going to get this right. There was even another play during this game it, when we the batters were on offense. I don't know if you saw the clip or not. I think it was in the second half. Danny <clears throat> Davis was going for a similar route, like a crossing route to the middle, and he just got absolutely annihilated on his helmet, and that should have been a targeting call. It, so to me, it's just inconsistently called. It needs to get way, way better. 
um, ultimately. And, um, you know, I was very upset about this, but, you know, what can you do at this point? But I just thought it was complete garbage. I th- I think what they have to do is when they review this, because they review the targeting plays, is I think they have to be able to at least try to determine intent. Yeah. Because like his helmet hits Colin Wilder's shoulder pad. That's that's on the receiver who's ducking to prepare for the contact. Correct. Colin Wilder is doing everything that he's supposed to in this play. And as he's going to finish the play, like I said, they're not owls. They can't turn their heads all the way around to see what the wide receiver is doing. And even if he could, looking at where this wide receiver is, where do you expect him to hit? So that's if they can look at it in, in a review and say, you know, his intent was to make the play with his shoulder and the wide receiver, you know, the wide receiver's motion caused him to make contact with the helmet. Something like my dad just said in the comments, they could call it a penalty, but not an ejection worthy hit. Like I could totally agree with that. I could totally agree with that because now Colin Wilder is a senior and now this is his last regular season game and he had to watch the rest of it. Yeah. And there were several plays in this game where it's like, wow, the, the Badgers could really benefit from a, uh, an experienced safety in this situation. Oh, they lost him on the first play. Yeah, that was a bad omen from the start. I did. Yeah, it was a real, real head scratcher to me, and um, it was a huge loss th- throughout the game. So I, it needs to be consistently re- like it needs to be reviewed again because it's just it's affecting. It affected us. It's affected other teams in the past, obviously. And I don't, I don't know if it's ever going to be right. I hope it is one day, but we talked about it earlier. They're not going to get 100 percent right. But if you, you know, Tyler keeps talking about putting it to review. That's the only way to get this right. That's the only way to get close. Mm-hmm. And if you can review this and you can understand, this is a football play. It's two guys making a play, catch, you know, and the safety coming to make a hit. It's a football play. That happens about 25 times over the course of the game, of one single game, you know, and then you look at how many colleges there are, D1, like 130 or something like that. 140 maybe it, how many times is that happening per week you know what i'm saying like it, it's happening all the time you, you can't blame wilder for this man he didn't do anything wrong let me throw one more thing out to you he's not launching his body either both of his feet are still on the ground so he's not launching his body either that's what i'm saying it's a football play he's that's in a defensive stance he's like you're gonna go right there and that's where you're gonna sit and he made the tackle that's it that's all that was. It was just a regular football tackle. It happened so fast too. Like I, yeah. <laughs> I, it's dude. My stepson does this to our neighbor every fucking day. You want me to call? <laughs> <in my head? laughs> Seriously, they break those little plastic helmets, man. It's crazy. Good thing they only keep up the feet. <laughs> Rush, man. We're gonna talk. We're gonna talk more about the season as a whole than we are gonna spend talking about this game. But one other thing, I want to throw out with this game. I don't like complaining about officiating. I don't like doing it because ultimately I believe you should do enough things to make to make plays to win games. But it happened to the Packers in the NFC Championship game, and I feel that it happened in this game is a really bad pass interference call. Uh, this is, it might be kind of hard to see on the screen, so if you're watching this, if you can turn your brightness up or zoom in. But what I did here is I took a screenshot of this play where Caesar Williams is called for a pass interference call. Now, this picture is a wide receiver for Minnesota with both of his arms extended about 75% of the way 
in Caesar Williams' chest while Caesar Williams is off the ground, pushed to the ground, and then called for pass interference. You can see it even with the blurriness of this picture that Williams is looking for the ball. I I absolutely baffled how this play could possibly be defensive pass interference when he gets shoved to the ground and is looking for the ball. Yeah, that was another head scratcher too. I was definitely I, I was yelling at the TV after after seeing that. At first, like when it when it first happened, I was like, okay, what come on. I'm like, I'm like, oh here we go. That's offensive pass interference. And then just looking at it, man, defender literally did nothing wrong at all. Like, I don't know what else he was supposed to do in that situation there. So honestly, in this in this situation, I'm not even calling for this that it should have been an offensive pass interference. I would have liked to just see nothing called here because they're both they're both looking for the ball. Mm-hmm. Like there's contact between both of them. I I just don't see how you can call that a defensive pass interference. I agree. All right. It's just, it's just an, a call that didn't go our way. Uh, I was taught growing up that usually they, they even out, but obviously in this game, calls didn't even out in our favor. All right. Game. So I don't know if – I don't know how much you guys really want to talk about this game. I personally don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it because I want to talk about the season as a whole more. Um, for me, just the big takeaways were the run defense wasn't its usual self. Um, Braylon Allen wasn't his usual self. Um, Graham Mertz, Graham Mertz was his usual self. Uh, he made one bad decision. That was an interception and he made some nice throws. So I think he continued his improvement, but just one mistake. Um, the Badgers have good linebackers. That's, that's about as much as I want to say about the game. Um, I don't know if you guys have a lot of takeaways that you want to bring up about the game. Uh, last week we were previewing this game. I said the first thing I said was the quarterbacks in this game were going to decide this game because both are below average to mediocre at best. Right? Mertz at his best, he's mediocre. He doesn't make mistakes. He makes a few nice throws. He runs the offense and he hands it off a whole bunch of times and we get a bunch of yards. Right? Tanner Morgan on Saturday was absolutely lighting us up. 11 of 16 for 199 yards. He averaged 12 yards a pass. Through that, through that touchdown, you know, towards the end of the game. I mean, Tanner Morgan played well. He played like the 2019 Tanner Morgan. They really didn't get a lot of the running game going, but because Tanner Morgan was throwing the ball so well, I think that opened up some more running lanes for them because we weren't able to just stack the box. If Morgan was missing some of those throws, I think that it would have changed things a little bit more. But, yeah, Allen only averaging 2.8 yards a carry is just – that's crazy to me. How you stop a truck after three yards – crazy i think um, it was i think it had a lot to do with his ankle yeah mm-hmm. and ferguson only had four catches for 27 yards that's our guy we got to get him going he's a guy that has to and i absolutely mean this he has to get eight to ten targets a game he's just that kind of a player he's very very talented i think he's underrated in my opinion by a lot of people across the nation a lot of people are going to see ferguson in the nfl ne- next year and they'll be like, oh man where's this guy come from oh wisconsin I think he's that kind of player. He has great hands, improved blocker. Like, I'm a big fan of Jake Ferguson. So, I think he's going to pop up on the scene next year and do really, really good in the NFL. He's got to get more targets in our bowl game. We're probably going to be playing, like, the Outback Bowl or some bullshit now. But 
It is what it is. We always play in the damn Outback Bowl. It'll be in the Tostitos Bowl. Yeah, here's a here's a kind of good bowl game, right? <laughs> but because we were kind of good, but you know, other than that, I mean, Minnesota played well all around, in my opinion. Other than those two, you know, controversial plays, Minnesota played pretty well. They played like a seven and four team that's you know pretty decent. They hung tough against Ohio State early, you know, first game of the year, but. Minnesota is not that good. Wisconsin should have won this game. It is what it is, man. Mike, do what you got, buddy. Yeah, so I think, like, as a whole, you know, we couldn't get off the field defense, even on defense. We just simply could not get off the field when it was, you know, there's a couple times when we were we held them, I think, to, like, third and eight, third and ten. I think I remember third and 12 specifically that Tanner and Morgan completed a big pass on us. But I think – yeah, collectively, D, our defense definitely was not the best. I granted we had the pick six return for the touchdown, but other than that, like it seemed like Minnesota had, was able to like convert important third downs, and just we could just not get off the field. It ended up taking off a bunch of clock. We weren't the sharpest defensively that day, like at all. With again, with exception of that pick, pick six, just simply because we couldn't get off the field. We gave up a lot of big plays on the pass. Tanner Morgan. I probably, if you look at his stats throughout the whole year, this is probably his best game all year too. Yeah, and had great games in previous years. Like I remember, like two years ago in Minnesota's like ten and two or whatever that was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was throwing. People the ball. thought PJ Fleck was gonna be an NFL coach. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> about that. But um, no, Tanner Morgan definitely ha- has some skills. I'm personally glad he's gone after this year because I mean he can he could sling it so. Um, no, we just couldn't get off the field offensively. I, it was a shame to see, you know, we couldn't not get the run game going. Um, you know, just looking into it more, Minnesota did have a, a record for stopping the run going into this game, even though I was still hoping our O-line could step up to the challenge. But, um, you know, it's a shame that couldn't happen. But, um, no, Braylon was definitely slowed down. But I think that's mostly due to injury, especially in the second half. And, you know, I would have liked to see – I know Mertz had a couple nice throws in the second half, but I would have liked to see him take over a game. We didn't really see that happen in the second half, and I was I was actually fairly disappointed. Now, you can say, was it the play calling? Was it this, this, and that? But I think collectively Mertz had a, a subpar year. I think, you know, the writing is kind of on the wall with that. He showed flashes, but um, – I was looking forward to him taking over this game in the second half because I knew he had the somewhat the capability to do it, but I was it had a sour taste in my mouth, especially that second half with how things played out. Let me ask you guys a question real quick. You know, you talked about the defense wasn't the sharpest, and you know, there's a lot of areas where they could have improved. Uh, it's kind of a combo question, I guess. Do you think that it's more on Chris, you know, for not having them ready? Or do you think the players are kind of looking past Minnesota and looking forward to the Big Ten championship game? I, ho- I sure hope. I sure hope it wasn't that second part. But you know, I, you know, when you're a Wisconsin like player, I, it's to my understanding that one of the first things you are told once you get on campus, even as a freshman, is the axe and how important that is, how important the border battle is, and all that. So I hope it really is not that second part. However, I mean, you, you never know. I it's they should have known Minnesota was a decent team. It's not like they were a winless team going in this game. It wasn't going to be a cakewalk. Um, you know, there's dudes from each state on each team. 
I mean, a lot of people, a lot of those kids know each other. I mean, why wouldn't you want to be ramped up for that game? But, um, you know, I would be lying if I said I haven't questioned Kristen, his methods this year either. So uh, yeah, we'll, it's, we'll a, it's, a, it's a little bit of a yeah, double-edged sword. Yeah. So <clears throat> I guess for me, the biggest takeaway I take from this, ugh, makes me want to puke saying this, but uh, Tanner Morgan has won two of the last three axes. And he's fucking awful. That's how I feel right now. I am pissed. Tanner Morgan? Nobody's going to remember him in 20 years. Who the hell is that guy? Nobody's going to remember him in three years. Like, who's Tanner Morgan? I'm going to be like, I don't know. Some guy that apparently beat the Badgers two out of three years. Like, what the? Oh, my God. Anyways, let's move on to the – because I'm pissed off now. Let's move on to the report cards. All right. So, before we get into the report cards, I'm going to throw these out there because we're going to talk about – Pretty much all of these guys, um, whether it's going to be position groups or individually. Um, and that is go through the Big Ten first, second, third team and honorable mention. There's a whole bunch for the Badgers. So I'm going to throw these out there real quick. Uh, first team. First of all, actually, before I even get to the first team, uh, Big Ten linebacker of the year is Leo Chanel. Uh First team linebackers. Leo Chanel, Jack Sanborn, Jake Ferguson is a first-team uh, All-Big Ten. Josh Seltzner, offensive lineman. Second team, Mike Sky, Keanu Benton, Braylon Allen, and Logan Bruss. Third team, Matt Henningsen, Caesar Williams, and Tyler Beach. And then honorable mention to Noah Burks, Nick Herbig, Fayon Hicks, Isaiah Mullins, Scott Nelson, and Colin Wilder. So we're going to talk probably all these guys' names will come up except for maybe the offensive linemen because we're going to talk about them as a collective. But – uh, a lot of Big Ten, all Big Ten players on the Badgers this year. So, um, I mean, it's it was disappointing at times. Obviously, losing to Minnesota is disappointing. Um, losing the, the Penn State game, which was a really competitive game. Losing the Notre Dame game the way they did. Getting blown out by Michigan obviously sucked. But, I mean, it's not – it's not what Badger fans want to see from the Badgers, but it's also it, it could be worse. If I'm you know if I'm trying to put it into perspective a little bit, is the Badgers have a lot of talent. They were fun to watch at times. They won on a, a, a seven game win streak, mm-hmm. so it just sucks that it ends on a loss. Now, talking about report cards, we're going to start with the offense and then move to the defense. Um, let's talk about. We'll start with Graham Mertz. Um, let's, let's give some grades and then let's talk about them. So for me, I'll throw out my grade first, just throw out your grades and then let's talk about them. So for me, I gave Graham Mertz a C plus on the season. Mikey. Yeah, that's exactly what I had. I had a C plus actually. Okay. I had a D plus. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I gave him a D plus. See how strict you guys are. So man, I'm just getting. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting a little. Well, yeah, well, yeah. Well, that's why. I, that's why I wanted to throw the grades out before we start talking about them. So for me, mm-hmm. I gave Graham Mertz a C plus because I felt that he had kind of an average season. Um, this is his sophomore year. It's his second year as, a, uh, as the full time starter, and I gave him the C plus. I gave you know about an average. Uh, quarterback, and then I gave him the plus because he improved as the season went on. So that's that's where my C plus came from. He got better with his touch. He wasn't overthrowing wide receivers uh, so often in the second half 
of the of the season. So that was why I gave him the C plus, Mike. I don't know if uh, that's similar to what you were thinking as well. Yeah, it, it really is. And I guess like depending on the order of these games, I mean, obviously after like the first three to four, I would have been like, okay, this is, you know, F, D minus. But I mean, mm-hmm. he did show improvements throughout throughout the weeks. It definitely, that last game gave me a little bit of a sour taste as well, especially how he, it was conducted in the second half of that. But, um, you know, there there is a little bit of improvement, but I'm, you just look at even Wisconsin quarterbacks in the past, with the exception of Russell Wilson, it kind of falls in that same category of, you know, average, maybe slightly above average, good enough, uh, good enough to win win some games for the year. Um, you know, it, it's kind of it seems like it's the prototypical Badger quarterback. The Joel Stavi, Alex Hornibrook, Scott Tolzien, Jim Sorgi. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, I mean, they have different like things that they can do, like mm-hmm. as, as a quarterback. But it just yep. seems like it's comes to comes out to be the same result, good but not great. So, and that speaks for the team, I guess you could say in itself. But um, no, I, he did show improvements throughout the year. I'm hopefully optimistic going into the off season, but that can be another discussion for for another time. But um, I stuck to the C plus on that. I was debating C C plus, but I gave him the nod for that. So I'll, I, I'm wait, I'm excited to hear what Jake's got to say yeah. in his feedback. You guys are kind of making my point already because <laughs> he is an average Wisconsin quarterback, right? He wasn't recruited and talked about like the average Wisconsin quarterback, though. So I took all that into consideration. I took his play against ranked teams. You know, uh, when we played at a, a neutral site, we play on the road. I take all that stuff into consideration. I take his inaccuracy uh, most times. You know, Rushman over there is talking about how many he threw into the ground, how many times he's overthrown people. I mean, you have one of the best rushing attacks in the nation with one, with one of the best young running backs in the nation. And you're telling me on a play action, you can't find Jake Ferguson in the middle wide open? Like, that that's impressive to you when he finds an eight-yard curl route to one of the best tight ends in the nation? That's not impressive to me. He's supposed to do that. The thing that just really, really makes me angry is, like, we just heard all about Mertz. We got excited that first game that he had, and he's really kind of been shit. You know, I actually – I gave him a D plus. That's the first grade that I've written down. And I wrote slash C minus because when he's normal, he's a D plus. When he's playing above his level, he's a C minus. So you're not getting much better than what he normally is. And, you know, you talked about it in Minnesota, and I wrote that down, inability to take over a game. He doesn't have that ability. And if you want to be a championship team, your quarterback has to be able to take over. Your quarterback, no matter what team you are, is one of your star players. He plays a star position. He has the ball every play. He gets to make a decision on every single play, right? He could check out of a run. I mean, I hope he has that ability as the quarterback. He could check out of a run and throw a quick slant, but he's not good enough to do that. It just pisses me off that he was the highest recruited quarterback in history and this is what we get. I'm like, he's a sophomore, and his his freshman year was the COVID year. So for me, I want to see him. I want to see him for one more year. And for me, the the alternative being Chase Wolf. I'm gonna stick with Graham Mertz for at least one more year. I mean, we could do that. We could do that with Aaron Rodgers, though. I mean, the alternative to Aaron Rodgers is Jordan Love, and that doesn't look very damn good right now. I mean, the the. <laughs> The drop-off is a little bit different there, but 
I, I mean, Mertz and Wolf are pretty even, in my opinion. Right. They're, they're both inaccurate. I mean, Wolf can at least run. He looks like he has some wheels. Where Mertz just looks slow, like he's running in quicksand sometimes. I'll be honest with you, but I don't know. I wasn't impressed with Mertz. Uh, maybe the last game's getting to me, but I'm not happy with him. Yeah, it's it is like I, I look at some of the his worst moments and even a couple of the positives. Like I just go, I gave him like the plus, like the C plus part of it too. I go back to a game like against Nebraska where the offense did you know, save the defense from losing that game at home at Camp Randall. And I know, you know, Braylon Allen did go off, but Mertz did make so, some good throws too. I taking that into consideration as well. Um, I just, has he improved throughout the year? I would still say yes, but it's just not up to the Wisconsin. I shouldn't say it's up to the Wisconsin standard because we still ended up nine and four. Good, not great, but um, you, you, you just want to see, because you can tell he, you know, he's made some impressive throws. Like, I do think he's got, like, a better, like, cannon, so to speak, than, like, what we've had, than, like, an Alex Hornerbrook. I think he can throw a better deep ball. I mean, it hasn't been accurate, so to speak, but he's just got to put it together, read coverage is way better, and not, you know, stare down his first read like he did numerous times this year in multiple games. The deep ball actually is bad because he's yeah. had some wide open receivers down the sideline, and he just mm-hmm. completely airmails it. It's like, Jesus Christ, man! If you just hit one or two of those, this game's going to be completely different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now you you take those safeties and you move them off the line a couple more yards. You know, then that hole for Malusi or Braylon Allen or Isaac Garendo, like it's bigger. You know what I mean? It's one less set of hands, set of feet that you have to run over, run through. You know, it's mm-hmm. I don't know, just little things like that. I guess. I think uh, I think Graham Mertz is going to come up more when we talk about Paul Christ. So, yeah, um, I think that's going to be part of that discussion. But um, let's get your guys' grades for Braylon Allen. Uh, this is pretty – I think this is pretty uh, self-explanatory here given the amount of time he got on the team. Um, you know, I gave him an A straight up. I mean, he – I would say arguably he single-handedly saved the season for us uh, because if, you know, he's not there, you know, Malusi's gone, Isaac rendo has gone, we don't have anything in the running back spot. We just talked about, you know – the inconsistencies our quarterbacks had throughout the year. I am, you know, we don't have Braylon Allen. I, we don't make a bowl game. In my opinion, we probably have maybe I'm thinking five wins at the very, very best. If we're without Braylon Allen. So it's an a for sure. He saved our season. I also gave Braylon Allen an a for a lot of the same reasons. Uh, I hope the ankle doesn't become a, a recurring thing. Um, it's, you know, I hope that it's just a thing where he rests in the off season, he gets back to work and then he's ready to go for the beginning of next season. Um, and I got to say, as far as memory serves me, I would say Braylon Allen is probably the best freshman in Badger history. Yeah. Pretty easy. Uh, I gave Braylon Allen an A plus <laughs> plus. Uh, okay. I'll do the same then. All right. I'm with you. He's too damn big to only have one plus. That's how I yeah. feel. He, he jumps over people, runs through people. He's great, man. Um, he really, you know, you said that he saved the season. When he got over 100 yards, the Badgers won. He did that for seven straight games. He didn't do that last week. We lost. I mean, you could say he was the offense, uh, kind of like how Jonathan Taylor was a form, you know, really was the offense when he was here too. So, uh, Brilliant Allen, he was great. He averaged seven yards a rush, which is absolutely insane. That is uh, insane. 
So, I mean, he's a monster. He's a truck. And uh, Wisconsin definitely has some of the best power backs in the whole country if you add in NFL and college. Oh, yeah. If you could just take two, if you just take Braylon Allen and Jonathan Taylor, I would I would charge you to find any better combination between an active college and an active NFL running back. Oh, that would, oh that's impossible. That's not happening. We definitely have the best. Because Jonathan Taylor is top five, top two. This this year he's probably top two. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like Jonathan Taylor's name is popping up in MVP discussions. That's crazy. They should have won against the Buccaneers, but let's stay on the bad real quick here. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the other two running backs. I put these two together just because they both had early endings to their seasons. Um, so let's talk about Ches Malusi and Isaac Garendo. Jago, you go first on this one. Yeah. <sighs> So, Garendo, his season got ended really, really early. Um, he had a humongous, he still has the longest run of the season, I believe. Uh, and he hit the, the highest ball carries. Yeah, he did. So, Isaac Garendo, is a, he's a big play guy. Um, I gave him a B uh, simply because, you know, he still he was averaging seven yards to carry himself. Uh, he's kind of a home run hitter. So, hit 23 carries, 160 yards, and that one touchdown. So he's kind of a home run hitter. He's a pretty good player. I haven't, I didn't get to see enough of him this year to really give him anything above a B, but I'll give him a B because he was still pretty solid. Uh, I also gave Ches Malusi a B. Um, I thought he was good at times. He, you know, he's a little bit, he's a little bit more like an Aaron Jones type. He's not Aaron Jones, where he's more of a shifty, you know, one cut kind of back. Like you can't just ask him to power through a hole. You can't be like, we're going C gap. And then Malusi's going to be like, all right, I guess I'll just push these 340-pounders around. That's just not his game. Uh, he's an open-space kind of guy. But I still like Ches Malusi. He's a good change of pace compared to Brandon Allen. You know, he's a, he's a cut-you-up kind of guy, and that's exactly how I feel about Jones. He's got a nice spin move when he uses it. He does. I mean, Malusi's a good player. For anybody to say he's not, he still averaged 4.7 yards a rush. Good and he, he dealt with the game. offensive line early in the season when they were really bad. Yeah, that we were terrible in the first couple of weeks. So yeah, Ches is still a good player, and he was only a sophomore, so he'll be coming back next year. So I thought Ches was uh, a junior. I thought he was. I thought he was a redshirt sophomore. I think he's but a junior. He could be a junior. I think. Um, I, I got to look into this because I know the NCAA did this with basketball, so I'm pretty sure it's going to be the same with football. That guy's got an extra season, so I want to see. Who is going to end up making that decision to play that extra year? Like, um, like Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor were fifth and sixth year players, um, so I want to see who comes back um, with that extra year of eligibility. If anybody sticks around, like maybe a Colin Wilder, who I mentioned was a senior, if he if his junior year that twenty twenty year didn't count towards his eligibility, if he's um, willing to come back and then play another season. So um, that, that'll be definitely something we look for coming into a primer when we do uh, a Badger primer for 2022. But um, Mike, what'd you have for Malusi and Garendo? Yeah, I had bees for both as well. I mean, given like what Garendo could do before he got hurt, I mean, he showed his, you know, capabilities, you know, especially that, that Eastern Michigan game. That was fun to see. I just, yeah, for bees for both. I mean, Malusi's not the same type of runner as what Braylon Allen is, but you need a guy like that on your team, plain and simple. I think, personally, all three of these guys do come back next year, I believe. This could be one hell – I mean, if we just stay healthy, this could be a very, Stacked. very, 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 very <laughs> backfield. It really could be. 
you know, you get a, a year of learning under Braylon Allen's belt. Mm-hmm. Lucy's got plenty of experience, obviously. I mean, yeah, I'm pretty sure if it was, he didn't have 40 carries, it must have, it was probably 35 against that game against Penn State for like a buck 10 or whatever that was. So, you know, he's got plenty of experience. He can carry the ball. He's gotten us out of so many um, or a good handful of situ of, um, situations throughout the year too so um i think braylon allen will be the number one back starting next year um hopefully chez is ready to go by camp because i know it was questionable um at best that he would be with his injury so you know you hope for the best with that and you know isaac Grendel's just had very very bad luck it's been noted you know over the past few years um Per, you know, ever since he got on campus, essentially, too, and converted to running back. So um, you just hope for the best of these guys that they stay healthy. I mean, all of, them, like, all of them have the potential to be, you know, great and really productive for this team. And um, I look forward to, you know, seeing how they progress for next year. All right, let's talk about the offensive line. Um, we kind of just mentioned it when we talked about the running backs a little bit. Uh, for me, I gave the offensive line a B minus. Um, you know, we saw the we saw the uh, the All Big Ten that a lot of them were recognized first, second, third, honorable mention because they did improve as the season went on. Um, Braylon Allen is a great running back, but the offensive line plays parts in that. And also, I can honestly tell you, I can, I mean, obviously he doesn't drop back a lot, but I barely remember Graham Mertz ever being knocked down, much less sacked. Um, they were It was pretty rough in the early goings of the season, but they improved as the season went on. So um, I have a B-minus for the batter's offensive line. Mikey. All right. That's, what I, that's exactly what I had as well, the B-minus. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, I, I, first off, I, I know, you know, we get, I gave us, these guys a B-minus, but I'm still kind of surprised – one or two of these guys made that all Big Ten person. Mm-hmm. I think of a guy, I hate singling him out, but like a Tyler Beach to left tackle. I go back to the opening game against Penn State where he just got absolutely destroyed and Merce yep. just got rocked I a agree. couple of times. And, you know, there were times when he got – I can think of a handful off the top of my head where he just got absolutely destroyed and could have used some help, you know, on, on his end. And I just don't remember left tackle – like – those kind of Wisconsin left tackles just getting beat like that um, week in and week out. And that was, you know, that definitely struck a nerve to me throughout the year with, with that guy for sure. I think the brighter spots are actually in that offensive line are the younger guys, like the Joe Tipmans at center and even Jack Nelson, like that's our future right there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Personally, I guess I should have paid attention better, but seeing Selsner first team, all big tennis card. That's impressive. It's impressive. No, it's it's really impre- impressive. I I personally didn't see it coming. Um, to in my view, this this year, as far as an offensive line goes, it was another good but not outstanding or great. Um, I was gonna do a B, but then when I I gave him a B minus because you we play the teams such as like the Michigans, the Penn States, you know, the really good teams and. I don't want to say we did show our true colors at times, but, you know, look at the last game against Minnesota. We couldn't get the run game going. That's how we get through these types of games. And um, it was – I that's why I gave the B minus, I guess. When we play the good, really good teams, we kind of show, show, showing our true colors. Got better week over week for a little bit, but then it started to die down a little bit some more. 
going off that last game? So I left them with a solid B. Um, I did give them a B. Um, they, uh, you know, I agree with Rushman at some points. They did dominate some games. Uh, they were, they wore some people out, and uh, Mikey hit it on the head. I have it written down. Uh, Jack Nelson was probably our best, most consistent lineman this year. He was great pulling, getting out in front of the big fellas, and just just let that big dude rumble and knock some little dudes out. Um, but three out of the five of our old line is here are redshirt seniors, so we're gonna be having three new starters next year. Uh, but the Badgers are an O-line factory. You know, we've seen that for years now. So not going to be super worried about that. Just going to be a little bit of a changeover. But you got Braylon Allen, and hopefully Mertz comes back next year and he's a little bit better and can help can conduct a little bit more of the offensive line. I'm looking for Mertz to take a big step. But the O-line was kind of up and down. I mean, they did good uh, blocking for the rush. We had 215.4 yards a game, 16th in the nation. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, but we only passed for 162. So, I mean, you know, you bring up games against Notre Dame and, and Penn State, and, you know, these guys are so used to They're so big to just going forward right away and attacking people that they're not very good at going back and letting people attack them. You know, that's a whole different ball game. We're used to 50 times a game going forward and just laying on people, which they're pretty good at that. But you got to do both. So that's why I gave them a B because they're all right, but they're not great. Yeah, it feels like a second team all Big Ten line, not a first team all Big Ten yeah, line. Yeah. But <clears throat> all right, let's talk about wide receivers. This is kind of a an odd group because there wasn't a terrible amount of opportunity, even though it seemed like there was some talent there. So let's talk about the wide receivers. Um Jake, it feels like we haven't let you kick one off in a while. So I'll let you kick off the wide receivers. Game of C plus. because uh, there was uh you know, like you said, there was talent. Uh I like Davis, I like Pryor, I like uh DK. Uh, but they, they all have the ability to make a spectacular catch. But I've also seen Kendrick Pryor drop a bunch. I've seen Danny Davis. You know, and these guys are – they're not young guys. These guys have been mm-hmm. in college for uh, damn near as long as I've been out of high school, it seems like. So, mm-hmm. uh, they they just been in college a while. DK still – he's the young guy of the group, and he'll be the number one next year. Uh, Davis, Pryor, they've been there forever. And, you know, Davis ended with 32 catches, and Pryor ended with 31 catches. That's pretty piss poor, if you ask me. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. But I think it'll be nice to have some new, fresh faces. That's my personal opinion. Kind of, kind of feels like the basketball team of last year, where it's like they, it kind of ran its course. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you, you, you brought up the comparison that I made earlier this year was was I compared uh, Kimmeray DK to Johnny to Johnny Davis. That's that's the excitement level that I have. I feel that opportunity is there for Kim Ray DK next year. That being said, I did give the linebackers a B because – or the linebackers, the wide receivers. I gave them a B because I do feel that they are talented wide receivers. They're just, there's not a ton of opportunity. They had some – you know, we talked about with Graham Mertz, some of the overthrows that he made earlier in the season. Those guys were open. They just they just need to get him the ball. Um that said, there were a couple really, really nice plays. I remember one by Kimmeray DK, one by Kendrick Pryor, where Graham Mertz just put the ball up for him. They went and got it. So, like, there's there's talent with these three guys. Um, and you can throw Jack Dunn in there. You know, he was – he's kind of under the radar a little bit, but, I mean, he's helpful at times. So, I mean, I like these wide receivers. I wish they just would have had a little bit more opportunity. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I went actually right in between you guys. I actually did a B minus here. Uh, so that kind of worked out with the old average. But uh, no, given the opportunities and everything, I took that into account. I mean, um, you know, I, I will say right now, I think DK is going to be special for us. We are going to have to rely on him a lot next year. Um, given that we are losing Davis, we're losing Pryor, we're losing Jake yep. Ferguson. I mean, the only the only other tight end that showed flashes of in terms of like what Jake Ferguson does with like catches was Clay Cundiff. And what happened to Clay Cundiff? Really a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah. And he was out for the rest of the year. So yep. um I think DK is gonna be special. I think he's he's showing flashes. I remember that Michigan game when they were on uh-huh. right before halftime and Merch just kept like throwing it to him. And, you know, DK definitely showed some flashes. I mean, we even saw it last season too, as a freshman. Uh-huh. So I'm looking forward for him to take a big step next year. As for, you know, Pryor and Davis, they did both make plays this year. I thank them for their time because I mean, I was expecting a little more, but that's not their fault necessarily. Um, uh-huh. But, you know, Pryor definitely made some plays. He had that one missed catch against Nebraska yep. a couple of weeks ago. That should have been damn near a touchdown or they would have, he would have been down at the one or two. But, um, you know, he definitely made some plays this year. Davis made his fair fair share when given the opportunity. So, um, you know, it's just kind of a, you know, I wish they would have got more opportunities. But, you know, they did what they, they could with what was available. So, um, yeah, B minus, I think, was pretty fair. <laughs> All right, Mike, keep talking. Keep talking about the tight ends. Let's talk about tight ends. Okay, well, I guess since basically only one or two of them played this year, um, I'm going to give an, an A just because – only because of Jeff Ferguson, that 95% of it. Um, you know, he's not much – he was like the only one that we got to see this year with exception to, you know, Clay, Clay Cundiff until he got hurt. And he – you know, he had the big catch against Notre Dame. Uh-huh. I forget which game it was that he, he got hurt against. It was at home. I think it was might have, the Iowa game, maybe. I forget. It was at home. But, uh, you know, Jake Ferguson, I hope, you know, he gets an A in my book. He, you know, saved Wisconsin's butt numerous times the last few seasons. So, um, gets an A, and I hope – I wish him nothing but the best for sure in the NFL in the future. And maybe low-key, maybe the Packers take him next year in the draft. I don't Dude, know. Dude, I, I hope they do. I don't want to put that <laughs> in anyone's head, but, you know, here I am doing it already. I, I think we threw it out there last week that maybe we hoped that the Packers could uh, could grab Jake Ferguson. But um, I did an A- for the tight ends kind of because of the reasons that you mentioned. Jake Ferguson gets an A++. I mean, he had – 43 receptions, 417 yards, and two touchdowns. I mean, you'd like to see those touchdowns numbers up, but as far as the passing game goes, Jake Ferguson was the most consistent and the most reliable option. Uh, I've talked about it during the season a whole bunch of times that they ran that tight end screen for him a bunch of times. Absolutely love that play. It worked for like 10 yards every time they ran it. Um, I give him the A- minus just because there's really nobody else there. Um, maybe maybe Graham Mertz is a guy that could benefit from some two tight end sets where both of the tight ends are threats to to be there in the pass catching game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know Clay Cundiff, we don't really know what his injury was, so we don't really know what his status for twenty twenty two is. That being said, I couldn't tell you who other tight ends are on this roster. Um, so that's why I went with the A minus instead of giving him the flat A, which Jake Ferguson deserves on his own. So. I gave him a B plus um, because if I was going to grade Jake Ferguson, because 
really were just grading Jake Ferguson. I'd give him a B-plus grade. That's what kind of player I think he is. I don't know if he's an A player. Those are really, really phenomenal guys. But I do think that Jake Ferguson is very good. Um, the other tight end is Jack Eschenbach, by the way. Um, uh, I did play Kendiff and Jack Eschenbach's stats. They had six catches, 118 yards, and one touchdown. So – not a very big sample. I size. think I think out of that, like I think Clay Cundiff had like a thirty-five yard touchdown. <laughs> yeah, he, he yeah. had majority of it. Um, I didn't even write down their single stats. I just wrote them down combined. I was just like, oh, I gotta do some quick math. Boom, boom, boom. That's it. Um, yeah, Ferguson was really the man. I really wish they would just give him the ball more. You know, just I mean, they they ran that screen. That's a great play. Uh, little curls, little outs. I mean, Ferguson's a good route runner and he's a very good run blocker. He's a good player. He's good I've hands. been saying for weeks, Mikey, that I hope he ends up on the Packers, man. Him and, nice. him and uh, Kittle Light would be awesome together, dude. Yeah. Dude, so, that would be legit. Good tight ends. That's a problem. But he could take big dogs' place to your tires. Yeah, sure. exactly. I was thinking about that, like, another conversation for another time. But, yeah, you got to think about Big Bob's health, what that's like uh, with his ACL injury. And then, yeah, do we know if Marseille is coming back next year? I guess we won't know <laughs> until about probably a month or so before camp. So. Yeah. All right, Mike, I'm going to give you the chance to talk about the defensive line because you called one way back in the primer. So I'll let you uh, I'll let you throw that one out there. Oh, yeah. So D line, I did. I did an A um, just given the fact I start with Keanu Benton. The guy's a beast. I hope well, I hope to God he stay, I, I hope he stays next year. But I didn't see as far as like pro football focus, if there was any sort of like draft analysis and where he would land. I guess I didn't really see anything come out with him yet i could be way off on that correct me if i'm wrong but um no he had a solid year i was so happy for him that he got all i think he played every single game this year too or pretty close to that that was good to see um you know you think about defensive line you think defensive line you think about stopping the run first and foremost and you know we were number one if not number two or three in the nation collectively overall we did get a little sloppy in the last game against, uh, I think, Minnesota and even, I think, you know, Nebraska ran on us for a little bit. But, um, you know, I, I'm happy. Keanu Benton, he had a great year. I mean, Henningsen, you know, he may, he's put in his time here. He, I think he was honorable mention, I believe. If I'm he was mistaken. third team, actually. Oh, third um, team. Isaiah Mullins was honorable mention. That's true. Okay. And then, yeah, those guys had decent years, too. Henningsen's made a ton of plays for us in the past. Uh, he's had a great career with Wisconsin, and um, I don't think he did n- not quite as much as what he did in years past. But I think that's um, I think that's because you got guys like you know Keanu Benton on the line that kind of overshadows it a little bit. So um, no, we stopped the run for the for the most part um, as a D line. That's all you not all you can really ask for, but that's you know the main concept of it. So. So I think the D-line actually did a little bit more than just stopping the run. I gave the D-line an A-. minus. Um, I probably could have bumped it up to an A even. Um, you know, Keanu Benton, he did play all 12 games. Uh, he had 24 tackles, five tackles for a loss, two and a half sacks, two passes defensed, and two fumble recoveries. He was – he's the Kenny Clark of Wisconsin football. And then you bring in Matt Henningsen, who's like the Dean Lowry – of Wisconsin Badger football. He played all 12 games. He had 31 tackles, uh, five and a half tackles for a loss, three sacks, and a pass defense. So those two guys right there, they got their second and third team, you know, Big Ten um, nods. 
And then you throw in Isaiah Mullins, who was a, an honorable mention. So, I mean, I could have been persuaded to give this, this group an A. I gave him an A minus, but um, Jake, how are you feeling about the defensive line? Tyler and I are in the same way, Link. Uh, I gave him an A minus. Um, you know, uh, Tyler mentioned the tackles for loss. I added Isaiah Mullins in there. Uh, totally, they had 13 tackles for loss and seven and a half sacks. And like Mikey said, when you think of a 3-4 run defense, you're really looking for guys that take up space, take up multiple blockers. So for these guys like Benton and Hennington, or Hennington, to be able to get to the quarterback and make tackles for loss while getting double teamed or, you know, schemed against that way, I mean, that's impressive in its own way. And, and occasionally knocking the ball down too. Yeah, I mean, that's that's great. That's that's coaching. You could, you could tell the defense was coached the right way, which, you know, that'll be a hot topic when we get to Jim Leonard. But you could tell that the coaching on the defense was much better than it was on the offense, more consistent and where you know, keys and where they wanted to be in those situations. But uh, some guy, you know, that we forgot about, you know, because Henderson is a good player, he actually reminds me a little bit of Loudermilk. Mm-hmm. Loudermilk found his way onto a, an NFL roster. He's actually yep. getting some run for the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. Yeah, I watched, I watched a couple of Steelers games, and he's getting a lot of playing time over there. So yep. I don't know if it's because of injuries or not, but Wisconsin's putting a lot of defensive players in the NFL right now. That's yeah. all I know. And a lot on defense. So speaking of Wisconsin players that are going to be in the NFL, um, try to put A pluses across the board for the linebackers. Yeah, yes. I mean, we don't have to say the grades. We know the grades for the linebackers. Um, I think this linebacking group's probably the best in the country. Um, I think Georgia is the only one that would even have a, a remote chance to challenge it. Um, looking at these three, the death row three linebackers, and then, you know, you throw in Noah Burks, who was among the leading tacklers. Um, <laughs> uh, looking at Jack Sanborn, who was a senior, he played all 12 games, 88 tackles, three and a half sacks. Um, the fumble recovery, uh, look at Leo Chanel, who's a junior played in 10 games, but still had 106 tackles. That's insane. Average over 10 tackles a game. That's insane. Um, two forced fumbles, seven sacks. Uh, I mean, I can't say enough about Leo Chanel. He's just an absolute monster. Gotten Got the nod as the Big Ten linebacker of the year. And then you throw in a guy like Nick Herbig, who I actually really like, uh, was only a sophomore. He had 57 tackles, 12 tackles for a loss, four passes defensed, uh, seven sacks, two forced fumbles, and one recovery. So those three, those are the death row linebackers. Those three, I would say, if I, you know, my personal, I would say they're the best linebacking group in the country. Well, of course, there's there's no argument to that. Um, you know, it was it's really really special special watching this group. I mean, you know, you think about Wisconsin now and putting, you know, players in the NFL, like Jake said, I mean, we're, I think we're, I think arguably we're, you know, LBU just as much as RBU at this point. I mean, I ain't plain and simple. I mean, I think Herbig definitely has an NFL future. I bet I'm willing, I'm willing to bet Oren Burks will definitely at least get a look if he doesn't get drafted. Um, Jack Sanborn, NFL draft pick, no question about it. Um, Leo Chanel, Hopefully he stays, but you know if he doesn't, he's getting drafted. So yep. those are four dudes right there that I firmly believe can be in the NFL or will be in the NFL. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at guys like like Chris Orr and Zach Bond who found their way on NFL rosters, you know, even though they weren't drafted. Joe Schobert's still floating around in the league. Obviously, T.J. Watt was second in defensive player of the year last year. Um, so, I mean, Minko, dude. he's getting T.J. Edwards. T.J. Yeah, T.J. Edwards is out there. So, I mean, another undrafted you know, guy. <laughs> yeah, these guys find their way on NFL rosters even if they don't get drafted, just because they the culture that they're in is that linebacker university. So. Yep. Jake, you have anything else you want to say about the linebackers? Yeah, man. I added up their total, their solo, their assist, their tackles for loss, and their sacks. It's freaking insane, dude. <laughs> so all of them together, we're talking Chanel, Sanborn, Burks, and Herbig, right? They had 263 tackles. That's nuts. 155 solo, 130 assists, 51 tackles for loss. And 20 sacks. That's crazy. Dude, Leo Chanel had 17 tackles for a loss by himself. Yes, he did. That dude is a grown man. He's an absolute grown man. Uh, Herbig had 12, which you said. Seven sacks. Herbig's going to be a monster next year. Yes, he is. If he, if he can play well, like say Chanel comes back, and Herbig can double up on these stats, like say he ends with 15 tackles for a loss, and say he gets double-digit sacks, that's a first-round pick. I could see this between, you know, this year we have Sanborn and Chanel on the first team All-Big Ten. I could see it next year if Chanel comes back, having Chanel and Herbing on the first team All-Big Ten. Oh, 100%. I mean, Chanel will definitely be, you know, a defensive player of the year candidate, and Herbing will be looked at as a candidate to be all first team All-Big Ten. first team, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got we got some, some really, really good linebackers. Um, I'm actually very interested to talk about the safeties for a reason that our defense coordinator is a, a former safety, so I'm excited about getting to that. But oh, let's talk. Players. Let's talk corners first. Yeah, I'll let yeah. Mike go first on corners, and then we'll let Jake go first on the safeties because he's excited. Okay, this is a tough I, one. This is very tough because safety. Uh, this kind. Of, I'm kind of going to be kind of coordinating this with the safeties as well. I thought about doing yeah. that, about doing the, the the secondary as a whole, but there's a lot of guys individually to talk about, so I wanted to keep them separate. Yeah. This was really, really tough for me because, you know, this is in my in my view, this is the weakest point of the D in in the D, the defense. And you know, this is what I can I'll mention that in the Jim Leonard point, but um I I said a B minus on the corners, honestly. Um and it's going to kind of reflect on the safeties as well because I look at top to bottom. I'm, we're a good but not great team, and just like there are a handful of times, you can go back to the Nebraska game. You can go back to, you know, even the Penn State game or Michigan game. There were so many, or not so many, but there was enough blown coverages and what miscommunication issues when the linebackers of the linemen weren't getting pressure on the quarterback. The quarterback would have time to throw it. You know, we got beat on the deep ball numerous times, and it hasn't just happened this year. It's the happened. Penn State game was defense. awful in Michigan. Those two games stand out so badly how bad they were beat by the deep ball. And even Nebraska, Holy. too. I mean, Nebraska, we got just absolutely torched, in my view. That I was mean, their tight end. Their tight end yeah. shredded the Badgers in that game. It was, you know, yeah. And, and like I said, it's going to go hand in hand kind of for me and my view on this, but um, it, Wisconsin's kryptonite had, I said this at the beginning of the year and I'm not, I'm going to continue to say it until it gets corrected. Our kryptonite's always going to be in the secondary and it's mm-hmm. starting with the corners and the safeties. Just in my view, we do have ball Hawks back there. Don't get me wrong, but I just think 
you know, when a quarterback do, will get does get time to throw against us, which you know we've seen against the teams that are fairly good, we do we can typically get torched like by a good receiver. So uh, until that gets corrected, I want I'm going to be as strict as possible on this because I've watched this numerous times over and over again, year after year, even when Leonard is the defensive coordinator, we're just, we just cannot seem to quite match up athletically on the outside or even in the safety spot. So um, I'm doing, I, that's why I gave a B minus on this. I also had a B minus. Um, they were the first three or four games. We talked about the Badgers wanting to limit the big plays and try to create some turnovers. And then they rattled off like five games in a row of like four takeaways. So it was kind of a struggle in the beginning of the end of the season, but they were really great in the middle. So that's kind of where I landed with my B minus just because they, they did really, really great for like a four week stretch when they, you know, when we beat Purdue and we beat Iowa and it's like, Hey, the Badgers are back here. You know, the Badgers are back in, you know, contention for the Big Ten West after people were writing them off. So it's a, it's a really – it's a tough group to evaluate, I, I will say. So I'm interested to hear what else Jake has to say. Give him a C. Um, against some lower competition, they looked all right. Um, but they also looked bad against lower competition. I mean, Nebraska, they're better than their record, but they killed us, bro. Um I mean, you know, their tight end went crazy that game, but they also had a wide receiver, you know, touching us up a little bit, I would say, in my opinion. Yep. Um, the thing about this group, why I gave a C, um, is because never were able to get a coverage sack. You know, Mike kind of hit on it. Um, I talked about it with uh, Caesar Williams. He was kind of a – I wrote down he's kind of a big play guy. Uh, he go, he had three interceptions and a touchdown. He's, he's probably the only one out of this group that will really get a look at the NFL, in my opinion. Uh, Fan Hicks. He can just get out physical all day, all day, every day. You do not put that guy in a physical wide receiver. He will get worked a little bit. And uh, Dean Ingram, he's only a sophomore. He's a redshirt sophomore. So he'll have some time. He made a really, really nice play on his intercept, his one interception this year where he kind of jumped the route. Yeah, he did. Well, but mm-hmm. He almost he had one last week. Play. I think he jumped the route, but he just dropped the ball. Yeah. yeah. He had a chance to be all right. But, you know, overall, this group is a little bit underwhelming. Uh, I really don't remember the last good Wisconsin cornerback where I was like, damn, that guy's really good. You know, I can't recall. Sojourn Shelton maybe is the first yeah. guy that pops in my head. Maybe. But. Yeah. I always remember the one corner. I don't remember his name. This was way long ago. I was a little kid where he got, he got kicked off the team for stealing an Xbox. You remember that? What year was that? I, I honestly don't. I honestly yeah, don't. He was, he was really, really young. My dad would remember. I wish my dad was in here, but he was, uh, he was like our best corner, and they were talking about him being drafted in like the third or fourth round. And he got it was like the original Xbox, too. That's how long ago this was. Oh, wow. And he got in trouble for like breaking into some other kid's dorm. And he just, that, that's when I think of Badger's Corners, I think of not very good and that guy stealing an Xbox for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jake, anyway. talk about safeties. Jesus Christ. All right. Um, I didn't even know if freaking great to give these guys because you know they make they make good plays every once in a while and then for every good play scott nelson blows a fucking coverage dude he <laughs> he wants to play linebacker so badly oh god who were, oh yeah, yeah. guy who picked breeze 
Who are you talking about? Say his name, Rushman. Um, what I was going to say, I mean, Scott Nelson, he had the pick six this week, right? And after that pick six, I was kind of feeling like, all right, here we go, baby. Yeah. We're going to run this ball down there and throw it. Oh, yeah. Um, Scott Nelson, though, man, he basically is a linebacker playing out there at safety. And you could tell he did not have the athleticism to run with those guys. And I do like Carl Wilder, though. I did like him. He's a scrappy little guy. He made a lot of plays. He had three interceptions. That's uh, He had all those in that stretch where Tyler was talking about our DBs really, really playing well. We started to force turnovers. Uh, Kyle Wilder is a good player. He kind of reminded me of Leonard. He kind of he wore the same number. He was little. You didn't expect much from him, and all of a sudden he pops up on the screen with a couple turnovers. He punches the ball out, but he's a good player. I like I like him. But overall, you guys ready for my grade? Oh boy, let's hear it. Yes. Ouch. Scott I Nelson. thought I was gonna be harsh. Holy. Scott Nelson screwed us in the Penn State game. He screwed us in the in the Notre Dame game. He just he had too many plays. You you know you didn't even mention the other guy that I thought was struggled really early in the season. He improved as the season went on, and that's Torchio. No, he I mean, he was really bad at the beginning of the season and kind of picked it up as the season went on. But I'm um, interested to hear what what Mike has a grade for him. Um, I gave him a C, so I'll see what the uh, what the consensus ends up being on this one. Yeah, I actually did a C as well. Um, you know, I just go back to Penn State. I go back to Michigan. I go back to – we just got – we have been beaten by so many big plays against good teams throughout the years. And it's either because it's a miscommunication issue with the secondary or it's purely athleticism. And, you know, I, I, a guy like Scott Nelson, he did make a lot of plays this year. Jay mm-hmm. kind of hit on the head. He's like – I or you, Tyler, you did as well. Like, he's like a hard-hitting safety. But, like, when somebody's going to be running deep on him, like, there's a good chance he might get beat against, you know, the average four-star wide receiver or whatever. But, um, you know, we're good at stopping the run. It says that, like, um, stat, stats, you know, show that otherwise. But we just – we just do not have the athleticism with <coughs> big time dudes at the receiving position. Um, it's been a problem for years. And like I said, this coordinates with my cornerbacks here, but I just think collectively the safeties were more responsible for giving up those big plays throughout the year. And that's why I honestly gave him a lower grade. I mean, Colin Wilder, he was the inventor of the grit factory, the grit factory hat, um, you know, made it, he did make plays this year. Um, I respect the hell out of him for sure. But, um, you know, when you take the safeties as a group and, you know, when you're in the D coordinator himself as a safety, I mean, I'm hoping that position, you know, the quality of that changes soon. Um, but ultimately with safeties are for the most part responsible and getting beat by the deep ball because your job is not to let anyone go, go by you, so to speak yep. at the end of the day. And we just suffered enough big plays to, you know, lose us some football games this year because of that. So, um, yeah, I actually gave a C on that. All right, let's let's uh, let's switch this to a good note and let's talk about Jim Leonard. Mike, I'll let you go first on Jim Leonard. I'm gonna let Jake go last because I know he's got a great set of stats for Jim Leonard. So, I, oh, I, I can't wait to hear it. So, uh, yeah, I overall, I mean, given what I just said, uh, I'm gonna go with an with an A. I mean, you have to. 
you know, take everything into account. I know we didn't necessarily like the losses that we had were against really, really good teams. I was really harsh on the safeties and cornerbacks there, but you can't deny having a top two or top three defense in the country. You can't really ask for much more. I mean, we're LBU. We're damn near D-line you too. We're going to be pretty soon. Um, (laughs) We just got to get – Leonard's just got to correct, you know, this whole cornerback and safety issue. So um, I'm hoping we recruit better. Um, I know like one of the highly touted safeties that we did just bring in is actually a Wisconsin kid, Hunter Waller from Muskego. He's supposed yep. to have a promise. Yep. Um, that's supposed to be like, so to speak, the next big one to come through. So um, I don't, I don't mind the future. I do want to look more into their cornerback spot because I'm a little worried about that. But um, you know, at the end of the day, you can't really ask for much more having a top three, top five defense at the end of the regular season. Um, a lot of programs would kill for that. So I would give that squad collectively an A at the end of the day. So I'll let, I'll let Jake uh, bring on the stats because I'm anxious to hear this. I'll let Tyler go first. Tyler, you know, oh, I, Tyler. I, gave, I, I gave Jim Leonard an A plus just because I, I mentioned it already. You know, I think we have the best linebacking group in the country. Um, I would say, you know, the best front seven in the country and they, you know, the corners and the safeties, they went on a stretch where they were, were creating a lot of turnovers and, and, you know, doing a lot of good stuff. So, you know, like Mike said, a lot of, a lot of teams, a lot of programs would kill to have a defensive coordinator like this. And after Jake is done, um, after Jake is done talking, I want to pose a, I want to pose a question to stir the pot a little bit. I gave him an A+. Plus. I'm a big Jim Leonard guy. Uh, he did a great job. I mean, obviously, you guys know how I feel about the corners and safeties now, but he had that front seven playing elite football. So we were first in the nation in rushing yards, 65 yards a game. That's, that's incredible. That's incredible. Um, so they were second in three categories. Total yards, 2,889 total yards. Not too bad. Yards per play, they only allowed 4.17. And yards per game, 240.8. First in all those categories was Georgia. And Georgia's defense is insane this year. We were sixth in passing yards, 175.6. So all the big chunk plays were really all the passing yards we gave up. And then points per game, we gave up 16.4. A lot of that is, though, we had through some pick sixes and in bad positions, too. So... Think about how incredible that is. I'll say, you look at two games, that was like 100 points. Dude, Georgia's defense doesn't even allow a touchdown per game. Yeah. They're under seven points per game. Can't wait to watch them on Saturday. That's disgusting, bro. That is disgusting. They're like 6.8 or something like that. Um, I I still gave him an A+. Uh, Like Mike said, can't ask for much more. He did great. Uh, He's pumping out NFL players, which obviously is attractive to these high school kids that are like – I want to go make millions of dollars hitting people. So if we can continue to have great defense, have great success putting these guys out there, I would love to get some corners and some DB athletes out on the outside. That would just be next level defense. That's where you start itching into Georgia and SEC speed and stuff like that. But at this point, he's still doing a great job. All right. So before I pose my question, let's talk about Paul Christ. Um, I gave Paul Christ a C plus. And I gave him the same grade that I gave Graham Mertz for a reason because Paul Christ was the quarterback's coach this year. So as, as he goes, as Graham Mertz goes, 
Those two are going to go hand in hand a lot. And a lot of what I want to see from Paul Christ involves Graham Mertz. So I gave him a C plus because he had some really, really bad play calling. He had some pretty good play calling at times. Like I mentioned, that tight end screen, that is, that's a beautiful play. Uh, there was a play in the Nebraska game where they had a third and two. They were in shotgun with Braylon Allen, and they ran a halfback draw. That's a beautiful play call. The, the punt, when you're down 10 points with like four minutes left to go, and you were going to punt on fourth and one, and you got a false start penalty that made you change your mind, that is about as bad of play calling as you can possibly have. Now, that being said, what I'm looking for next year is I want to see more creativity, and I want to see him open up the playbook for Graham Mertz. Um, he's going to have a whole offseason to work with a guy like Kimmeray DK. They're, they're both going to be juniors next year. Don't let them go anywhere without each other. Just let them create some chemistry and have some trust the way that, you know, Devontae and Aaron Rodgers work together. Let him have that with somebody. I want to, you know, I want to see some more creativity in the play calling. I don't want to see, you know, not that I don't appreciate Wisconsin football where it's, you know, we're going to run the ball 45 times and, you know, we have all the big guys, so good luck trying to stop it. I want to see some some dynamics with the run in the pass. I want to see some play action more than twice a game. You know, I just, I just want to see some creativity, and I want to see him open up the playbook for Graham Mertz to see if Graham Mertz can be what we hope Graham Mertz can be. Um, you know, throwing 15 times a game doesn't give you a, a much of a sample size to to judge him on. You know, you can you judge him on the bad plays that he makes all you want, but you know, you got to give him then the same amount of credit for the good plays that he does make. So I just I want to see more creativity out of Paul Christ. So I gave Paul Christ a C plus, and I believe as as he goes, Graham Mertz goes, and vice versa. Jake, do you want to go or should I go? All right, I'll go. All right. I gave him a C plus as well, and I felt like I was being nice when I did that. Um, he does he does some good things, does some bad things. I have a little bit of stats for you guys for this one too. Took a lot of counting on my end, but uh, total yards we had three hundred seventy-seven point five. That is eighty-eighth out of one hundred thirty. Not good. Pass yards one hundred sixty-two point one per game. That is one hundred eighteenth out of one thirty. That's bad. Rushing, 215.4, 16th out of 130. That's good. Points per game, 25.8, 86th out of 130. You know, Tyler talks about being more dynamic. You know, why not just be more decisive in your decision-making? I feel like he's questioning his play calls every once in a while. You know, when he was at Pittsburgh, he was, let's, let's sling this baby all around the park. Now you have the ability to run the ball. Why not sling it every once in a while a little bit more? You know, do little wide receiver screens. You you got these athletes because they're athletic, mm-hmm. right? They can make plays. We saw Danny Davis make a play in the Purdue. Mm-hmm. Through a little wide receiver screen, he made one guy miss because there's eight, nine people in the box trying to stop Braylon Allen. He makes one guy miss and he goes 70 yards. Why not a little bit more of that? That's easy completions for Graham Mertz, too. If you can't complete a simple screen pass, then you're screwed. I don't know what else to say. I like Paul Chris. I don't think he deserves to get fired, in my opinion. But there's also times where he just makes me go like, God, I want to punch you through this TV so fucking bad right now. (laughs) So with that being said, Mikey, what's your grade, buddy? We're all on the same page in terms of grade. I did a C-plus as well. I 
Tyler, I kind of thought about your philosophy with like Graham Mertz and him go hand in hand. Here's my thing. So Paul Christ, he's been here for probably about what? Six, I forget how many years it is now. Uh, this is six. I think he came six. in 2015. Okay. You see his predictability on play calling has been, I think, so not so obvious, but there was numerous times this year where going even back into the beginning of the year, we have an A, we have an like an A defense, right? How many of these games this year, probably more so in the beginning of the year, that we could have won with even an average offense? These first four games this year, with the exception of Eastern Michigan, it was so bad. Like Malus, we would give the ball to Ches Malusi, maybe for two yards each play, and then we'd end up punting. If we get, you know, there is our offense, like at the beginning of the year, when we were stuffed at like the 10 to 15 yard line, we might have got maybe 10 yards and then we'd have to punt it. If Penn State was 0 0 at halftime, we scored like the creativity is, in my view, it needs to be corrected. In my opinion, I think we should be open to this. Bring in somebody from the outside to at least be an offensive coordinator or at least maybe a quarterback's coach, something. Because to me, we're still on that path of being good but not great. And I'm, I think it's still going to keep going that way until we spice something up somewhere. And I think play calling, unfortunately, is part of it. Because if you're a regular Wisconsin Badger fan like I am and watch every single game and you're seeing this repetitive stuff going happening over and over again with some of this stuff, I just think you need to bring somebody in from the outside, outside of Paul Chris circle to at least like whether it's working with Mertz or even an offensive coordinator, because last year it was Joe Rudolph, I believe, calling the play. Yep. This year it was Paul Christ. Yep. In my view, it didn't really change in terms of success overall collectively with that. So I, I think you do have to bring, you do need to entertain to bring with bringing in somebody from the outside with this, because I just think we're still on the path of this and not this, you know, Let me ask you a question. I just thought of this. All right. I, I think I said this a couple weeks ago. So the last year of McCarthy in Green Bay, or yeah, in Green Bay was run, run, pass, right? Run left, run right, pass, punt. That's what it was. Not creative at all. We're not stuck in the 90s. You can't just run the ball 70 times and expect to win a bunch of football games. So we're watching Michigan improve. We're watching Ohio State every year. You know, Iowa is a pretty good team. I mean, they're in a Big Ten championship game for a reason. I mean, all those teams, they run the ball, but it's handcuffed with the passing. It's not just run, 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 run. Like we're Army, we don't run it 70 times a game. We're not triple option, you know, Georgia Tech, all that kind of stuff. So do you think that there's similarities with Paul Chris' offense this year and Mike McCarthy, his last year in Green Bay? <laughs> I, I'm going to say no because of one play. They don't run the, the McCarthy special pitch play. Uh, they don't run that. God, I used to hate that. It's like, yes, you're giving Eddie Lacy a pitch play to start him three yards behind the line of scrimmage when he's already slow. No, no, no. The best play was always John Coon, oh. one. Everybody in America knew John Coon was getting that goddamn ball. Oh, my God. Uh, but I, I see similarities, unfortunately. I mean, just there's just so many – some of the same habits that have occurred, you know, with – 
Chris making the play calls game after game after game. And, you know, just you could predict what was going to happen. It was – I just think there needs to be more creativity, plain and simple, kind of like you said, and be open to – you know, have some open feedback from other co- from another coach or coaches. I guess if you if you're not going to hire somebody from the outside, at least accept feedback from other you know offensive minded coaches with what you have on staff. If you're not going to bring anybody from the outside, I still think they should entertain it. I hope I hope McIntosh maybe brings it up the new the AD if he has any say in that. I don't know, um, but just you know, take something I, I off of his plate. Yes, exactly. And because he's, you know, we have to remember he's the head, head coach. He runs the show ultimately on both sides of the ball. But, right. um, you know, he, this guy, we have, I am trying to go back to the fact that Paul Christ was calling the plays when our guy Russell Wilson was in town. Like he was doing that. So, I, I mean, <clears throat> Russell Wilson, very successful quarterback. So I would love to see him be more creative. It's not like I don't think he has the capability to do it. I think he, Maybe he's just doing it because he knows what he has for his team and like that's the best that he can do. I don't know. I don't want to believe that, but maybe that's the case as well. But um, it's just we've just seen so many repetitive things this year as Badger fans, in my opinion, with what's getting called. And I'm in order to be great, I think we definitely need to spice things up in the playbook. All right. You guys ready for me to start the pot? All right. All right. So it happened, I don't know, only a thousand times that people were asking for Paul Chris to be fired and replaced with Jim Leonard. Do you think that it's possible that Jim Leonard turned down the defensive coordinator position with the Packers with the thought that he would be the eventual head coach of the Badgers? Yes. 100%. Yes. And I, I think he will stay there as long as it needed, honestly. Um, that's not to say that Paul Chris is a terrible coach or anything by any means, but I think Jim Leonard just loves, you know, Wisconsin so much too, just as being a former all American alum. I mean, I think this is definitely his, his job when Chris is done. And I don't think we're not going to be firing Chris anytime soon or anything like that, in my opinion. But, um, no, I hundred percent firmly believe that Tyler, that he's the guy that's next in line to take that. And I think that has a lot to do with it. Jake, thoughts? I'm reading these comments by Rushman over here. Um, I don't think we're looking at Paul Chris. Paul Chris is a good coach, but if you're talking to you know a, a coach that's like elite or anything like that, he's not that. Um, we're not talking about going to just a passing game either. I do want rushing to be the premier of the offense, but I wouldn't use mind the use the run running. to set up the pass, not vice versa. Yeah, I wouldn't mind a double move every once in a while. Not oh, and I want some, I want play action, please. Yeah, I mean, every Wisconsin could just – you don't even have to open up the passing game. Open up the play action game. Yeah. yeah and that's – there's your offensive creativity right there. You could murder with play action at Wisconsin. Oh, 100%. Um, I do think that he turned that down because he just loves the University of Wisconsin. That's really what I believe. I don't think it was – he was scared of the opportunity or anything like that. And I don't think that we're going to be firing Paul Christ anytime soon. He's a good coach, like I said. He can keep us competitive, and he can keep us above 500, and he knows how to win games. He's been a coach for a long time, been in a lot of situations. So I think he's a good coach. I think we have a good thing going with Leonard on the D.C. You let him run the defense, and you let Paul Christ run the offense. But, you know, I just want a little bit more. I'm not asking for a million things. I just want a little bit more. 
So, you know, with that being said, it is what it is, but I don't know. Uh, I'm not happy with them right now. I can't believe they lost the Axe, dude. I really can't. Yeah, that has such a sour taste in my mouth. But... It does, man. I mean, and for a team that looked like, you know, and I was talking and acting like th- this team really had, you know, something special going on this year, and I thought they had a chance to really show out, you know, if they win this game. I thought they had a chance against the Michigan team in a neutral site and, you know, the way Same. that Braylon Allen was playing and, you know, Mertz was stacking good starts on top of good starts and the defense was the defense. I really thought we had a chance, but on that turf, I don't know if I want to see the Michigan passing game. I'll be honest with you. With our corner, that would be tough. Yeah. All right. Do you guys want to say anything else about Badger basketball before uh, Jake and I talk about the Bucks? Um, I'm just going to say that they are breaking out the new jerseys on Saturday against Marquette. So I'm excited for that. Let's go. Mikey. Let's go. I, uh, all right. So I actually, <laughs> I bought one of those jerseys. I, Oh, you got one already. <laughs> uh, next time you guys, uh, uh, invite me on the show. I will rep it for you. Um, you're going to be wearing it for the players do. Yeah. If it gets here in a timely manner, I don't think it gets here till like, I don't know. They told me, like December 8th or something like that. So uh, I'll rep it next time. Uh, uh, I'm invited back to the show. I thought they were dope as hell. So um, looking forward to them repping that. As far as the team goes, you know, we got a big game tonight against uh, Georgia Tech on the road. Um, Things that I'm looking for, I'm looking for productivity. Besides Johnny Davis, I'd like to see uh, a guy like Stephen Crowell get going. I think he's got a lot of potential that I'm really looking forward to him. Um, see what he can do because we are going to need him throughout the season, plain and simple. Uh, another guy that I'm, I think we should be looking out for here soon, um, to my understanding, he should be back in the rotation soon is Jacoby Neath. I'm interested to see how much he's going to fit into the rotation once he gets back. Uh, so that's just two things just to look out for. Um, and yeah, we got an, a big one tonight. And then obviously, uh, uh, in state showdown on Saturday, which, uh, a lot of bragging rights on the line. We got to get that one back from last year. Man. Oh, we need that bad, badly. We got to take down Shaka this weekend. I like Shaka Smart for Marquette. I was, I think that was a really great hire. Um, oh, it was. It was. It's no, uh, no argument there for sure. All right. Do you guys want to say anything else Badger related? I took down everybody's grades, so I will post our consensus. I'll uh, average them all out and see what the three of us came up with with a consensus for how the uh, Badgers did um, as a whole. But anything else you guys want to say about the Badgers? No, sir. Do it. All right. All right, Mike, thank you for joining us. We always appreciate your your Badger insights. So um, we'll definitely have you back to talk about Badgers basketball. All right. Thanks, fellas. Take care. Hey, Rush Man, we still got box, buddy. <laughs> My girlfriend's starting to bitch at me, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we still got to talk about the Bucks. I got some good stuff about the Bucks. All right, let's talk about the Bucks. So let's talk about the games. Uh, we're going to talk about the Marcus Cousins. So I don't know. Do you want me to just run through the games, and then we'll talk about everything else? Yeah, yeah run through them real quick. All right, <clears throat> here we go. Bucks Pistons got a 114-93 win, their 12th straight win over the Pistons. They did not trail in that game. Um, they finished well in the second half. Um, Giannis, 33-7-5, 12-17 on field goals, added two blocks and two steals. Uh, Bobby Portis, 28 points and 10 rebounds. Uh, it was 6-7 for seven on threes. Bobby was making it rain. He started hot and 
You stayed hot. Crazy in the third quarter, bro. <laughs> um, Drew Holiday. We we talked about him last week, wanting Drew Holiday to get hot, and he got hot. So I'm going to talk about Drew Holiday a little bit more later. Um, Drew Holiday, 22, eight and six. Um, George Hill had four offensive rebounds in this game, so that was nice to see. Um, first play of the game, Giannis got a catch on the elbow. Turned, looked at Drew. Drew cut back door for a dunk. They really set the tone for the game. Um, there was one play where Chris Middleton got a – it was a, kind of like a broken play, but um, Chris Middleton ended up with the ball at, like, Detroit's three-point line, and he threw a bounce pass that went right into Grayson Allen, Grace Allen's hands. He turned and threw a lob to Giannis for a dunk, um, something that doesn't show up. That would be like a hockey assist for Chris Middleton, but – um, yeah, you got the steal and everything, man. That was crazy. Chris, I mean, Middleton, he made some really nice passes in this game. The Bucks started off up 14 to zero. Uh, there was one play, Chris Middleton drove baseline, and a lot of times you see that straight across to the other corner pass. Uh, Detroit took that away. He used a left hand wraparound pass to Bobby Portis at like the elbow extend, and he knocked in a three. So, I mean, that was you know, credit to Middleton for his staying active when he's not shooting as well. Um, Giannis had the finger roll on full display. He was using it everywhere. Um, like I mentioned, Bobby stayed hot, started hot. Um, I know you and I were texting at one point, Bobby Portis got double teamed and instead of passing out of it right away, he spun baseline and cashed like a 20 foot jumper. Uh, like Bobby was, he was feeling himself in this game. He was <laughs> way more comfortable on this team than last year. And that's a problem. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, Drew Holiday started hitting some mid-range, hit a couple threes. Um, Giannis, Middleton, Bobby Portis, Drew Holiday, and Pat Connaughton, who was 3-5 on threes, had 11-7, and seven, um, accounted for 105 of the Bucks' 114 points. Oh. And this was Bobby Portis' fourth straight double-double, tied his career high. <clears throat> Anything you want to say about the Bucks pistons game? We were just a better team the entire night. We shot better. We rebounded better. Uh, the ball movement was phenomenal. Um, I wanted to highlight that play that you're talking about because that was freaking nuts, dude. Middleton gets the steal. It goes to, to Bobby. He gets it right back to Middleton. Sweet bounce pass. And then the lob up to Giannis. That was sick. Um, Giannis is just a bad man. Yeah. He's a bad dude. He scores in a lot of ways. Yeah. He's doing catches through threes, catches through mid-rangers. He's going to pull up off the dribble middies and threes. Like, he is a bad dude. So, I mean, the Bucks are just firing on all cylinders. The Pistons are just not good. Um, so, we got that going for us. But, yeah, that was, I mean, total effort last Wednesday. All right. So, Bucks nuggets on Saturday night was a really good back-and-forth game. I give credit to the Nuggets for not giving up without you know, a bunch of their players. Um, yeah. All starters and Pat Connaughton were in double figures. Um, Jeff Green cannot defend Giannis, so obviously the Nets found that out last year, and the Nuggets found that out again. Um, Giannis finished 24, 13, and 7. He was 10 of 13 on field goals. Chris Middleton had a bounce back game. He had 17, 5, and 7. Uh, Bobby Portis' double streak, double double streak came to an end. He had 11 and 8. Drew Holiday stayed hot, 16, 5, and 6. Grayson Allen added 10 points, and Pat Connaughton added 20 points. Uh, it's four for five on threes. Um, it was kind of weird. Both teams ran some zone at times, and it didn't really work for either team. But um, 
Middleton closed out the first half to get the lead back up to double digits. The Nuggets kept kind of closing it, and the Bucks kept pushing it up. That's pretty much the story of the game. Um, Holiday, Drew Holiday hit a dirty spinning baseline fadeaway jump shot. Like Drew Holiday's mid range game looks like Chris Middleton's mid range game, like the last few weeks. Yeah, Drew Holiday's so, a bad dude. He's, he's he looks more comfortable than he did last year too. Yeah, Drew Holiday is truly a second option guy, but he's just the third option on this team, which is absolutely insane. And it's and it works great for having him as a second option at times, you know, when Middleton has his bad games. Yep. Um, the Bucks. I mean, they played well. The third quarter, the 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 lead got down to I think it got down to four at one point, and they pushed it back up into double digits all the way up to back to up like eighteen at one point. I think. Um, Denver started out really hot in the beginning of that third quarter from the three point line, but Giannis hit. Not one, but two really, really tough post fades in this game. Both, like, the shot clock was winding down. He was being guarded by Aaron Gordon, who's actually, um, like, taking a, a pretty big step forward as a defender. And Giannis was kind of in a position where he didn't have anywhere to go with the ball, and he's standing in the paint with the ball, and obviously you only get to be in there for three seconds, and mm-hmm. hit a pair of really tough post fades. That, to me, is something where you look at it and you say, you know, Giannis – can't be a closer, and then he needs Middleton to be his closer, that's the kind of thing that kind of ends that narrative. Oh, yeah. If he gets that consistently, it's a wrap. Absolutely a wrap, dude. Um, Middleton went over 10,000 career points in this mm-hmm. game, and the Bucks dominated the rebounding battle. They won 44-31 to in the rebounding. Two bad things from this game were the turnovers, 19 turnovers, that's way too many and 12 for 20 from the free throw line. I see Kevin Johnson. I see you in here. We're going to talk about the Marcus Cousins right after we get this Pacers game wrapped up. You want to say anything about the Nuggets game, Jake? I'm going to say a couple things. Uh, First of all, the Bucs shot 63% in this game. That's freaking stupid. (laughs) So you look at the Nuggets rebounding, and you're like, damn, only 31. Well, you don't get a lot of rebounding opportunities when the other team is making everything. The other thing, I was kind of impressed with Denver on this. Uh, they had six different players with at least two assists. Uh, that's impressive. That means they're moving the ball. Yep. Everybody's moving the ball. Everybody's touching it, and everybody's engaged. Um, I actually like Denver when they're fully healthy. They're a very, very good team. Mm-hmm. So six different players with two-plus assists is pretty, pretty good. And they shot se- – they made 17 threes. So they're a team that can shoot. Denver's a mm-hmm. good team. Good. This is a good win for us, even with the injuries that they had. We have injuries ourselves. We weren't <clears> able to use injuries as an excuse to why we started bad. So – Yep. Why would anybody else be allowed to? Um, just a good overall win. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with Holiday and Middleton playing well, and Giannis is going to Giannis. I mean, it is what it is. So, Pat Connaughton, man. You know, I mean, you know I'm watching him ball, and I'm like, that's Wisco Fanatic's favorite player. Uh, yes, I love I love some Pat Connaughton. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, but, yeah, other than that, I mean, it was just a, just a good win, and they moved on to the Pacers on Sunday. Yes. So this game happened simultaneously with the with the Packer game, so I had to watch this yeah. one after that. Um they beat the Pacers 118 to 100. Basically everything we just said that Giannis is Giannis, Middleton and Holiday are contributing. Giannis at 26, 13 and 3, four offensive rebounds. Drew Holiday's getting hot, staying hot. We'll see if he can stay hot tonight. Uh 23, 7 rebounds and 9 assists. Bobby Portis had 15 points, 6 assists. Chris Middleton, 14 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals. 
these guys are doing everything. This team looks looks like a defending champion team. Yes, um, Pat Pat Connaughton, fourteen and seven. Uh, Grayson, uh, not Grayson Allen. George Hill, thirteen points and six rebounds, two steals, six for six in the free throw line. So I just mentioned free throws being something in the Nuggets game. George Hill came in and knocked on all of them. Um, <laughs> I was going to talk about free throws in both games and how they shot like insanely good against the. Players. And the the three point shooting is the opposite. So like they yeah. had a bad three point shooting game and then they shot well in their free throws and they. They cut the turnovers down a little bit. They had their 13 turnovers in the Pacers game. That's that's a really, really average number. I'd really, really like to see the Bucks become an elite team as far as turnovers go. Um, the Bucks do share the ball well, and they have you know three guys that all can attract a lot of offensive attention and then kick out to open guys. That's the Bucks' style of play. So this team's going to have some turnovers because they share the ball a lot. Um so a couple things I want to say is Drew Holiday had 11 of his 23 points in the third quarter. Um, they made life very hard for DeMontis Sabonis. He finished one for eight in this game. And Brogdon, Brogdon didn't play well either, to be honest with you. Uh, I will say Chris Duarte is going to be a nice player for them. Um, yeah, Karis LeVert is solid. Um, Indiana cut the lead to 54 to 53, and then they pushed – they pushed the lead back to double digits for the rest of the game um, using the big three and Bobby Portis. So that's that's the Bucks. That's what they're going to do. Um, Pat Connaughton, who I want to talk about, is he hit a really, really nice contested three. He's making a lot of open threes late in the game. Those shot clock was on to like two seconds, and he had a hand in his face, and he still cashed a three. So I want to talk about Pat Connaughton a little bit after this, but um, – did you want to say anything about the Pacers game before we start talking about the other news? Uh, well, seeing the 27 assists, uh, that's mm. always nice to see. Mm. And the Bucs have been a very good rebounding team, you know, the last couple of weeks. And if you can't tell, rebounding leads to wins. So the Bucs, you know, they started a little small. It's a hint, hint. Out and, yeah, I know. Uh, but they've been really good at rebounding. You know, they shot well. I actually pointed out in my notes about Hill and Pat Connaughton. Uh, Hill with 13 and Connaughton with 14 off the bench. That's something that you're going to need, you know, when you play better teams. And they held Indiana to a pretty poor shooting percentage. And when this team wants to, they uh, the championship level teams they could turn on defense. You know, when they when they need to, they can't. You can't always just lean on offense. They could turn it up on defense and be like, all right, time to dig. Why the Nets didn't win the series last year? Yeah, all 100, 100. So. Um, with that being said, the Bucks are just on fire, and they're going to be looking for another win. Today, actually, they're going to continue the Wednesday tradition of wearing their City Edition jerseys, which I love looking at. So uh, with that being said, let's get into these questions that Tyler did not tell me about and I'm unprepared for. Uh, it's not questions. It's just stuff we're going to talk about. So okay, the, the, well, we're going to talk about DeMarcus Cousins first because we had somebody comment about it already. So let's talk about DeMarcus Cousins. Um what are, you, what are your initial thoughts? And then I'm going to throw some some stats and, and stuff that I'm thinking about to Marcus Cousins. Okay, so my initial thoughts is size. Like that. I like that a lot. Um, even when Brooke goes out, we can stay big. Yep. Um, he's an experienced veteran. Um, he's been an all-star. He's been in the playoffs. He's been in every situation. Um, the thing that I think people don't really give him enough credit for is, you know, he's not a great defender, but he's a good enough defender. He can rebound the ball. 
And on offense, he's actually a very, very good passer. Yes, I was one. hoping you were going to say that. Good job. So that's you can run your offense through him, really. You know, for yep. short spurts, a couple minutes at a time. You yep. just can't run him out because you know that's what I think happened the last couple of years is he he got injured, and then teams are like, oh, this is Demarcus Cousins, so let's run him into the ground. You have to ease these guys back in. And on a team like the Bucks, who take a cautious approach to this stuff, anyways, yep. they're going to ease him in. They'll give him rest when he needs rest. Ask how yep. he's feeling and. I think the DeMarcus signing is going to be huge. So I he's probably going to play tonight. He started practicing yesterday. So I'm only really expecting 10 or 15 minutes of time, a game out of him. Yeah. Um, stock, he's not going to be paying Brooke Lopez 25, 28 minutes a game. Um, yeah. And, you know, some of the main things, Jake already touched on the passing. Um, he's actually become a good three-point shooter um, since – 2016-2017 season, um, he's shooting 34.7% on threes. That's not crazy amount, but that's in the Brook Lopez range of just respectable enough that you can't stand in the paint while he's out there. So we're taking a chance on signing a guy who's got a similar skill set to Brook, at least on the offensive end, but he's a better passer. And then on the defensive end, he's just big. He can play center against a guy like Dwight Howard. You don't have to worry about him getting mixed up. By, by Dwight Howard. Um, you can use him at times against a guy like Bam Adebayo, a guy like Andre Drummond, you know, those kind of guys. I don't think he'd be as good against a, a Joel Embiid who can take him away from the basket a little bit. But what it does is it doesn't mean that Giannis and Bobby have to play center all game. Yeah. Taking just – save Philadelphia, for example. If Giannis doesn't have to play center against Philadelphia – that's Andre Drummond and Joel Embiid that he doesn't have to guard for 35 minutes. Those two, you know, they have their skill sets, but those two are strong as hell. Giannis is oh, also yeah. strong as hell, but you know, you know, this for for 35 minutes is that's wear and tear on the body. So just having Demarcus Cousins, like Jake said, size it, you know, that that takes workload off of Giannis, even if it's only for five minutes at a time. So. That's why I'm excited for DeMarcus Cousins, and he has improved as a three-point shooter. So um, Jake's going to step out for a second here, and I just want to throw some things out. Um, Kevin, to answer your comment, do you think he's going to be a step up from losing P.J. Tucker? Um, it's They're really different player types, whereas P.J. Tucker was all defense. You could put him one through five. Um, and then, you know, a liability on offense. I think DeMarcus Cousins kind of – he gives a different skill set. He gives size on defense and then some rebounding. And then on offense, he allows you to keep your floor spacing, which is a big thing for Giannis. So um, I don't think he's a P.J. Tucker replacement, but I do think, you know, that that role player type of player could be the type of uh, thing we get from P.J. Tucker. So I did mention before um, – the Drew Holiday is hot. I want to save some of these things for, for Jake when he gets back. But Drew Holiday in the last four games is averaging just under 20 points a game, uh, six and a half rebounds, and six assists. Um, he talked about it in one of the post games about how it's fun having everybody contributing. So this team is really starting to gel well while they're on their seven-game win streak. Um, and I think that's it's going to continue. Um the Bucks are now back within two games of the number one seed, which is something we don't really think they care about. But um, you know they're back 
up in the top of the East. I do think the Bulls are more pretenders than contenders. And, you know, something I wanted to talk about with Jake is um, Giannis did an interview with The Athletic this past week. And he talked about playing the right way as opposed to just constantly relying on his physicality. So in this interview with The Athletic that Giannis did, he talked about how many conversations he's had with Coach Bud um, about just not trying to kill himself worrying about wins and losses, especially when guys like Middleton and Drew and, and Brooke are out. And, you know, he's talking about playing the right way and not worrying about the wins and losses. This is something we talked about back in January, February, March of last year where we were talking about context instead of wins and losses because we knew that the Bucks were going to hang around in the in the East anyways. Uh, and what Giannis talked about is – is how he's feeling better after games because he's not putting so much, um, you know, forced contact on himself. Now I, I mentioned that play, the opening play in the Detroit game for a reason, because something that uh, Budenholzer has been talking with Giannis about, and this is where I'm glad we have coach bud still is he's helping Giannis in his development is having plays basically preset in your mind. And this is the next step for Giannis. Last year, we talked about Giannis taking a next step as a leader. And this is where Giannis is taking the next step from being, you know, the amazing physical specimen and now putting more basketball IQ on top of that. And that first play in Detroit is a perfect example because Giannis isn't going into his man, you know, pushing to get space. Giannis walked with his head down over to the elbow, turned, got the ball, and then he pivoted and Drew Holiday was cutting back door. Giannis talked about that play about he's slowing down, taking a picture. That's that is what he's talking about, and that's um, you know a mentality he's gotten is seeing a play before it happens, and that's the basketball IQ thing. That's the stuff that people talk about with LeBron James. That he's he's a thousand IQ. You know, if this guy does this, this is where he's going. That's the kind of stuff that Budenholzer is trying to get Giannis to work on, and that play in Detroit was was one of the examples that Giannis gave of that, of seeing those plays before they happen and not killing himself to get into those spots. So I wanted to throw that out there, you know, that that Giannis talked about that, and that's that's his next step is working on his basketball IQ. You know, we've, we're seeing his improved jump shot. We know he's improved as a leader. So now that basketball IQ stuff, that's, that's his next step. So, um, Jake, the question came in, do you think that DeMarcus Cousins is a step up from losing PJ Tucker. Okay, so I've actually uh, had a couple discussions about this. Uh, I do not <coughs> think that he can fully replace Tucker. Tucker was a guy that could play down low and on the perimeter. And Marcus Cousins isn't going out there guarding Kevin Durant. That's not what he's going to do. But what he does bring is that same toughness aspect, which is where the comparison comes from. When you look at the Marcus Cousins, you're like, that's a rough rider. That's a guy I do not want to F with. It's a guy I do not want to fight with. And you, you feel that same way about P.J. Tucker. He doesn't get pushed around. You don't get punked. You know, he's one of those guys, like, when you're when you're on his team, you all, you know, put your chest out. You know, he talk, He even talked about it in the you know, celebration about talking about <clears throat> letting the dog out in some of these guys because we already had dogs. Now they're dogs established. And now you bring in another dog in DeMarcus Cousins and got a room full of dogs again. So – uh, we have championship heart, championship mentality, and DeMarcus Cousins has been in locker rooms like this, which is another reason. You know, I said he's a vet. He's been in the playoffs. He understands what it takes 
even though he hasn't won a ring, he's been on teams. He knows what it's like to be in the playoffs and have the mentality of that grind. And, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. I like the P.J. Tucker. You know, I love P.J. Tucker, but I really love the Marcus Cousins signing. I think it's going to be nothing but good things. You know, you can always stay big now. You can slide Bobby over to that four spot. You can run to Marcus Cousins. You can still spread the floor. Talk about that already, so that's something that's going to be absolutely huge. That's what we, we talked about with, with Tucker, too. He sits in that corner. He still spreads the floor on offense. So you're not really losing anything. He, he'll have the same impact. But the thing about Cousins that I really, really like is he can go back to the basket. You know, you can throw the ball down to him against a backup big or even a starter. He can figure out a way to score. It's the same thing, same way we feel about Brooke Lopez. Sure, he can shoot the three. But Brook Lopez can go down low, and you don't want to follow him because he's a good free throw shooter. He did, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing with Demarcus Cousins. He's a good free throw shooter. He's got good touch on that midi. He's got a good three point touch. He can go down low, and he could bust your ass down. That down happened low. actually towards the end of last season that they were using Brook Lopez in the post more, and it was you know he had a couple of games where he was in double digit points, and yeah. we felt that Brook Lopez was playing his best basketball going into the postseason. Yeah, and <clears> that's how I feel about Cousins too. Cousins can do have that same aspect on a limited minute role and that's something I'm all for, man. You know, and did you hear that rumor about John Wall? Yes. How do you feel about that? I am gonna I I like it, but I don't want to talk a whole lot about it until he gets bought out. Yeah. Because until it happens, I I mean like there's a lot to unpack there, but I wanna wait to unpack it until it until we actually know that it's a possibility. I agree. So there's a couple things that I want to throw out there. Um, these two kind of go together, but they're on a seven-game win streak since Chris Middleton came back, and they're still undefeated when the big three all play. Um, <clears throat> 21 games this year. Giannis has led the Bucks in scoring in 17 of them and in rebounds in 16 of them. Um, and he missed one game. Yeah. And the last thing that I want to say is Wisco Fanatic's favorite player, Pat Connaughton, is shooting 41.4% on threes this season. Let it fly, Pat Connaughton. I feel like it's going in every time. He's a, he's a sniper, buddy. He's definitely a sniper. People thought we overpaid for him when we gave him three years, $15 million. I know. I remember that. And I was just like, and then he leads the finals in three-point makes. And now he's doing it. Like, he, he's a baller, dude. He does everything. All the little things and big things. You, you want me to blow your mind real quick? Yes, sir. Grayson Allen, Pat Connaughton, and Dante DiVincenzo combined make less than Joe Harris and Duncan Robinson individually. Joe Harris is not that good, bro. Like, he's all right, and Duncan Robinson's all right, but none of them play defense like the three players you mentioned. Play that right now. That's that's pretty sad. But those those three together make fourteen point one million. Joe Harris makes seventeen point four, and Duncan Robinson makes fifteen point six. Jesus, see, <laughs> that's where you take people that like to win more than they like money, and we got yeah. we got three of them. And guys yeah. that know their role. That's yeah. The, the Bucks are set up to be competitive for a long time, man. Like at least another three or four years. Oh yeah, championship window is. Like this. It's it's wide open. Like oh, yeah. like last year's win, like that blew the doors off, and it's it's 
I mean, as far as health is concerned, um, Lopez did say he's targeting a return. Um, he didn't say what it was, but he said he has a, a target in mind. Um, and then Dante DiVincenzo. And adding DeMarcus Cousins now, this this is even disregarding DeMarcus Cousins, even if it doesn't work out. The Bucks go like nine deep. Yeah. So we can get into a playoff situation where, you know, you can have Dante, Pat, and Grayson Allen just constantly rotating, and you never get relief at that shooting guard position. Uh, Ever. Dude, this, and James Harden, he's gotten a little better the last couple of weeks, but he's still not – he's not going to be the 50 point. He – he has to play as a facilitator now and not yeah. a primary offensive player. He's not a scorer anymore. He's not. Because he's not getting 20 free throws a game anymore. You know who they miss? Kyrie Irving would still be a scorer. I'll tell you that right now. He, he's a bucket. So if Kyrie comes back this year, I'd be worried about the Knicks. If Kyrie's not on that team, Bucks can beat the Knicks. That's really <clears throat> that's true, truthfully honest. I still think we could beat them with Kyrie. They but, they have no depth, dude. Yeah, without Kyrie, they're they're gonna get destroyed. And it was funny that everybody was like, "Oh, the Nets are so deep." Blah blah blah. This, blah blah. They're not. Blah, blah that. But the Bucks are adding Demarcus Cousins and maybe John Wall. And holy shit, we look deep now. Because George Hill <laughs> can do his stuff. If we get any exactly John Wall, Pat Connaughton. I mean, you mentioned all the shooting guards, and then I'm not even mentioning Drew Holiday. Chris Middleton or Giannis. I mean, this team is – and they won the title last year. Yeah. I mean, this Bucs team is set up, man. The the East really runs through us. That's how I feel. And yeah. Honestly, Bulls, I really believe – I really – Yeah. The Bulls – the Bulls will be probably around that five seed is what I'm thinking for the Bulls. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I think the NBA really runs through the Bucs. I mean, we – Phoenix and Golden State are – are really high up in the standings and Phoenix has a nice win streak going, but until the Bucks and Phoenix play each other and DeAndre Ayton shows that he can defend better, I'm not scared of Phoenix. Um, Golden State looks pretty good. Their shooting is pretty good, but they don't really have a ton of interior defense either. I mean, um, Draymond is their interior defense. And you really want a 6'6 six, six guy guarding a 7-foot guy? Because I don't either. How about three 7-foot guys? One of whom can handle the ball really well and dunk on people from everywhere. Yeah, I meant primarily stopping Giannis because you know that's who he's going to check. Yeah, he's going to be on Giannis. But the thing about the Bucks is Middleton; he can go off for forty. Drew Holiday is going to absolutely abuse Steph Curry. Curry's going to abuse <laughs> Holiday on the other end too. That's an yeah. easy matchup. That's a wild. Yep, and that's but, you know, and then you're looking at Chris Middleton play. versus Andre or uh, Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, I'm taking Middleton in that. Oh. <sighs> Yikes! I mean, the Bucks are just a deeper team. Gary yes. Payton is playing well over there. Um, Jordan Poole is is a most improved candidate. Like yeah, I, they, they, got, they got a Wisconsin Milwaukee native Jordan Poole over there. So I mean, he's been balling. So I mean, Golden State's nice. It might end up being Golden State versus the Bucks. Man. That would that be an awesome league. finals. That'd be a legit dude. Giannis dunking everything. They got Curry shooting from the parking lot, dude. <laughs> What more do you want? That'd be that'd be fun. Yeah, man. Oh, that'd be awesome. I would love it. All right, Kevin, to to talk about your John Wall thing, stay tuned. Um, if it happens, we will definitely talk about it. But um, 
Uh, Jake, I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about today, but uh, I'm ready to go and turn the Bucks game on. I am too. I'll answer that question real quick. I do think that John Wall will be a nice fit. The Bucks have a great system. We have a lot of, you know, winning players, you know, that, you know, we're a good, good tight knit group. Giannis is a great leader. Who would I get rid of? That I would have to look into. It definitely wouldn't be George Hill because he's been pretty damn good for us this year. He held the ship down when Drew Holiday was, you know, getting, you know, injured and getting his feet wet. So I think uh, George Hill has definitely been very good. So we'll have to see. There's a bunch of two-way player guys on the team. Like they just signed Devontae Smart to a two a two-way contract. Mamu's yeah. a two-way guy. Um, Semi Ojale, if he's hurt when he comes back, if he doesn't yeah. find his role, they could cut Semi Ojale. They could cut Rodney Hood. I'm surprised they haven't already. Um, yeah, oh my God, yeah, that's probably the guy. So there's there's plenty of options there if if John Wall yeah. becomes a free agent to to free up some spots there. So. 100%. All right, man. If you don't have anything else. Bucks and six, baby. All right, let's go watch this Bucks game and the Badgers. All right, later, brother. All right, see you next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.